Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Dungeon Crawler Network presents Tales of Tamriel. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 79 of Tales of Tamriel, a Dungeon Crawler Network production. I am your host, Ajelos, he who um, who drank too much mead last night. Don't worry, I didn't drink any today. But, uh, you know, it, it's a fun party when you come over to Ajelos' house because it consists of mead, swords, and a boar spear and a bunch of people trying to chuck it into a uh, into a tree stump. Yeah, that was my night last night. It was fun. Um, also joining me, the man with the plan, the man who pretty much tells me about the game because I was stupid and made a mistake and didn't realize it. Avi, Avi, how are you today, sir? Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, finally taking a little break from the game to talk about the game. So, well, that's doing good. If, if you're going to take a break from the game to talk about it, is a good reason to take it. Yes, um, as well as. Uh, eating and drinking please do not forget that sleep helps as well yeah all right um Esteldian was unable to join us this week again poor Esteldian. even after getting a five-star review now he's just like i've reached the pinnacle of my career and just nope that's it i'm done but fear not for we have scoured england to bring you another british man and that man is nate how are you nate I am good. I have dried my tears from last week's episode where I walked through the streets of London just crying, thinking, please stop killing my game. I was, <laughs> I was so bummed out, I had to tweet about it. And I, uh, I thought, you know what, I'm going to have to just, I'm going to have to come on the show because I knew you were going to be down, um, Esteldian. And uh, I thought, yeah, this is an appropriate time for me to come on and just cheer everybody up a little bit. Um, because you were a bit grumpy last week, Ag. I think the mead really just got to you. I think it, it just, it, you drowned in, in, in tears from your mead and never recovered. Uh, see, and someone actually said that, and this is, this is what's really, really funny. I had to reply back. They're like, you know, maybe you shouldn't drink mead during the show because, you know, it kind of went sad. And I, and I said to him, no, you, 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 you're wrong. Drinking the mead is not the problem. 
spilling the mead is what put me in a foul mood. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just don't you know? Don't cry over spilt mead. I well, it it hurt my feelings and it just made me very, very, very sad. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm here this week to keep everybody's spirits up, so you can spill the entire you know, cask of mead on your entire crotch and there will be no problem. We will keep spirits up. We will pick up a dual wielded uh, weapon of some description and, uh, and I will slay the misery. Yeah. All right. Let's All right. do this. Wow. I'm, 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 I'm loving I'm it. And while doing that, I'm going to be in, uh, in, uh, where am I going? Alakir Desert, finding the last fragment that I need for the Dwemer motif because I refused to buy one on the crown store and never bothered getting all of my chapters. So I'll be doing that while we play. Nice, nice. Alakir is a wonderful place to farm all that stuff because there's like, what is it, like five or six Dwemer ruins in, the, in uh, Alakir Desert? There's like a lot. There is, but there's one, the, the, the best one is one you get from doing the uh, Fighters Guild quest line, but you can only d- get into this dungeon during the Fighters Guild, but it has like a one hour refresh time, I think, on the um, uh, sort of urns and stuff in, in there, And but it's the only time you can get it. I'm- so. Almost positive they removed all Dwemer ruins from that because people were farming it. Oh, did they? Oh, I mean, yeah. This is going back ages when I. Yeah, I knew no, that. no. They removed that a long time ago. Oh, I see. Um, because people what? were. It, well, if you think about it, that one was the reason why it was farmed so heavily. Is most most of the Dwemer ruins only had a handful of of, of urns and stuff to search. This thing had like three times that amount. Oh, it was, yeah, it was like 250 and they recycled every hour. Um, so it was worth having a character to go and, and do that. The problem is, is that by the time the motifs came out, I was too high level. Um, mm. So now I tend to um, farm Aldunes, which is in the sort of southeast of yep. uh, Alakir Desert, which has the most number of urns. Um, and it's 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 quite a good one to, to go through. Um, I actually... Like- do a cycle. I do. I do a cycle. It's uh, Aldunes. Um, then I go to the one in Betnik, or not Betnik, uh, Stros Mackay. It's small, but you go through that, and then I go oh, through yeah, Bizark. Bizark, yep. And then I go through Avinshal, and then there's one more. Why am I forgetting which one it is? No, maybe those are the only three. No, there's three or four. But by the time you finish that rotation, they're they're up again in the first location. So you can just go do a big circle. Yeah. I think it's like a 30-minute refresh timer or something like that. So do Aldunes, go to Beth's Ark, then Avinshal, and then back around. And it, it seems to work out pretty well for me. Uh, what, what, was the, what was the last one you do? Avinshal in the Rift. Oh, in the rift. Oh, yes, I know the one. Yeah, that is the probably That's... the best one that I found for farm because it just has so much. But yeah. you see, I don't tend to do that one. That's in um, that's sort of in the middle, isn't it? In the middle of the zone, just uh, to the south, middle south. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Near uh, Fort Honrick or something like that. Yeah, yeah, near Honrick Tower. Yep, that's where you want to go. That one has so much stuff. Like, I know that one. That's a fun one. You know what? I might go and do. I've only just gone into uh, Aldoom's. Let's let's go and check that one out now and see if you're right, which I know you are. Yeah, that's I. I farmed so many sets of Dwemer, and I got most of them from there. That's great. 
Well, while Nate is doing that, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsors. That's right. We actually have quite a few sponsors this week, and they're all of our awesome Patreon supporters, like Victor, which is a.k.a. Lightning from Sky. I'm assuming you play an Argonian. Uh, his character name is at Batava, B-A-T-A-V-I-A. And I want to give a shout-out to his guild, the Templar Dragon Knights, who play on the Ebonheart Pact. That's right. Blood for the Pact, everyone, on the EU Mega Server. Uh, thank you so much for supporting us. We really appreciate it. And also my new friend, Carlton. Yay! Hey, Carlton. Thank you. Um, I, I'll give a little story here. After last week's episode, um, Carlton emailed us and was rightfully so a little upset at our at our episode and and and, and expressed his concerns um and i got to chat with him he turned out he's a really cool guy chatting with him for a little bit and uh so i'm really excited to get to chat with him some more and uh do not forget to email me about trying mead at your ren fair because he was uh saying he's going to a ren fair i guess it's this week and he's never had mead before, and he's going to try it. So he, I'm waiting to hear back and see how he likes it. So thank you so much for supporting us as well, sir. We really appreciate it. If you are currently not supporting Dungeon Crawler Network and wish to help us out, you could consider donating and becoming a patron of ours on our Patreon page, as so many have already done, and we really appreciate it. You can find the links to both of these on the bottom of our website, DungeonCrawlerNetwork.com. Yes, I like saying .com. If you're unable to support us financially, that's okay, but still wish to support us, why don't you go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, leaving us a review on iTunes. Yes, we like those. Or tell a friend about us. All of this helps us out so much. Um, and as one thing I do want to say, uh, we have one review that we're going to mention. If you are... Um, if you are leaving us a review from another country outside of the United States, just drop us a little mail. Either go to DungeonCrawlerNetwork.com, use the contact form, go, hey, I left your review. I will gladly go look at it. But if um, if you've never actually tried to navigate reviews on iTunes, and Nate's here, and he can confirm, it is a real pain in the bum to have to jump back and forth between countries because they don't put it all in one nice spot. They make you like log out of your store, log into another country store, research your stuff, and then bring it back up. It's really just a pain. Um, but I don't want to leave all of our you know overseas reviewers in the dust. And I would like to give you due credit for leaving us the review. Um, but you know the chances that I'm going to look for a review in like Uganda are probably not very good. So <laughs> just saying. All right. Let's go ahead and move into game news. There wasn't a lot of game news this week because, let's face it, they had a a new patch out, uh, which is 2.1.3, on the PTS. I was going to talk about it, but then thought to myself, why even bother? And the reason for this is because Imperial City launches tomorrow. So by the time the people actually listening to this podcast actually listen, leave your patcher open because it's... It's going up tomorrow. Yay! I'm excited. Just in time for me to go to Berlin for three days. Uh, Again, sir, we've already discussed this. You'll still get to play before me. Such sadness. (laughs) That depresses me. Avi, how about you, sir? Are you excited? Imperial City, Monday. Oh, I am so excited. And uh, luckily, I don't have to wait too long for the download time. But I do work all week. So I'll be able to get a couple hours in every day. 
Nice, nice. I actually plan on leaving my patcher open and Thais's patcher open for uh, for the for the uh, download while I'm at work. So hopefully, hopefully, it gets a good way through by like Monday or Tuesday. I, I don't know. It may or it may not. <sighs> yeah, Imperial City. I see. I'm excited for the Imperial City because I love. Um, Little side note about Agelos. I am addicted, and a few people know this already. Uh, I remember talking to uh, Wicked Wolf. Shout out to Wicked Wolf. Um, I'm very jealous. He actually got to spend uh, some time in Italy and Rome and everything like this on vacation. I am addicted to Roman history, like insanely addicted to Roman history. So the fact that the Imperials and all the Imperial matches the Roman Empire like almost to a T, I am just insanely in love with it. So the whole idea of the Imperial City just excites me. Yay. No, no one else can jump in there. Just, okay. <laughs> I don't study the Romans, but uh, I'm very excited for it nonetheless. Okay, all right. Nate, how about yeah. you? Obviously, very, very excited. I'm particularly keen, though, as, as you may expect, to be uh, intrigued by the new law. Um, that's mm-hmm. that's going to be in the game because they've put quite a bit of emphasis in previewing a number of characters that are going to be in the game, um, which I always appreciate because they're the ones that tend to obviously form parts of the stories, which form parts of the lore, and that's what personally I find particularly interesting and exciting. Um, so so that's pretty that's pretty cool, and you know it's a very different type of PvP, and it's going to be very nostalgic for some people. I sort of. There's people who have been playing the game since Oblivion because a lot of people started with Oblivion, myself included, and that you know this is kind of a, a a good kind of advert to say, hey, look, you can come back and explore that massive city that you spent 150 hours in in 2005. Come check out what it is like now, or really, actually, what it was like quite a while before you played it in the game's history. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Imperial City, like, I didn't play much Oblivion. I honestly didn't like it that much. Uh, um, present. How, how dare you? No, I've beaten it. Like, I've beaten it, but it's not like Skyrim where I went back and replayed it a million times or, like, Morrowind. Um, honestly, I think the only thing, the reason why I didn't like it is the character creation. Like, I don't know why they went with that particular art style, but... You, yeah. don't, like pota- you don't like potato heads? <laughs> potato head. I'd see that was my biggest turnoff, and I mean, there really was my biggest turnoff was just the graphics were gorgeous for the world, but the character creation was just absolutely terrible, and I just couldn't get into it. Um, but you know, just get some of the get some of the mods that are out there now and play through again because that's that's what I did, and it, it's great. You know, just graphically improve the game a little bit. And it just takes away that awareness that you'll have that you're playing a game that visually maybe could be improved a little bit back in the day. Oh, I, I, I did that with Morrowind, and Morrowind was absolute. There's a giant overhaul for Morrowind. Yeah. And, oh, my goodness, actually, it's so good. It is so – actually, do I still have that? I got to look because if I do, I'm going to put it in the notes. Um, PSA for – oh, Yes. I'm going to do this right now because I'm going to put this out here for game news. Morrowind graphic overhaul. I know this isn't kind of an ESO show, but we're addicted to Elder Scrolls, so this is why I'm doing this. 
Um, for those who are ever interested in playing Morrowind, which I honestly think is the best game out there in the Elder Scrolls series, beating Skyrim, I really do believe that with my entire heart. That you Morrowind just make enemies. is better. Not of me, not of me. But until you've played through Morrowind, I mean, come on, let's face it, Morrowind. If you like, you can even go to the official Elder Scrolls uh, forums, and they actually did a poll on this. Which do you think is the best Morrowind or or not Morrowind (laughs) Elder Scrolls game? And Morrowind actually came out number one in the polls with the most amount of views. People see this as the ultimate Elder Scrolls game. But the graphics are very, very outdated. Um, mm. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes and in the uh, episode description that you'll be able to click. Um, they actually, what they did is, and I'm going to read this out because it's really good. The the uh, posters on Reddit, it's a, a dumb gorilla. That's their name. Thank you, a dumb gorilla. <laughs> uh, going backwards in the TES games is rather awkward. Uh, you do not have uh, the smoothness of Oblivion or Skyrim engines. There are a few mods I'd recommend installing if you want to play the game and not be frustrated with clunky decade-old gameplay. First one is a graphics overhaul or Marwind overhaul for sound and graphics. It's really just a massive compilation of mods, but it's all done by one area. It's really good. I used it. Um, it's on the Nexus, um, but you don't actually need Nexus Mod Manager to install it. Just open up the file, run the installer, and you're good. And they actually have a tutorial. This goes through, and you can actually modify through the the system what you want changed. I kept mine as, I guess, default as possible because they actually had a, like you could you could kind of go with a high fantasy feel or whatever. But I wanted to use to keep Morrowind as it was supposed to look like so there is that option as well there's like you go high fantasy option or you could go you know just updated graphics that's what i do um they also have an always hit morrowind morrowind's game was really much an old type of rpg with a like a dice roll to determine whether you hit or missed um there's a mod that actually changes that so as long as your target cursor is over it you will always hit like in skyrim Oh, that sounds nice. Um, yeah, it, it, it's oh. essentially these mods right here. If you put them in, will essentially take Morrowind and make it play just like Skyrim. Every time I play Morrowind and I attack something, it goes miss, miss. I'm like, ah, oh, come on, just you pick up a dagger I, I'm hitting and swing. That. No, I'm hitting it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh. No, this removes it. That removes I... that. So, um, it it definitely. I think it makes the game a little easier at low levels. Uh, but it's actually not too bad because if you think about it, the difficulty in the game was really whenever you pick up a new web. But after you got to Journeyman and the weapon, and you like never missed, the game almost got ridiculously easy. So I mean, all this does is remove some of the frustration at the beginning of the game. But um, I'll definitely put it in the notes because I do encourage people to go back and actually play through this because Morrowind is the best. Just saying. Do you want to hear my, my little theory about Morrowind? Yeah, go for it. I wouldn't be surprised if over the next year or so we get Morrowind on mobile and on the iPad you, and Android. You, you shut your dirty whore mouth because that would I, be awesome. I would throw money at Bethesda. Yeah, that would be <laughs> I, have, I have two reasons to believe this. Um, one, if you look at where... Bethesda and Zenimax Online is putting quite a lot more effort these days is in mobile. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Clearly, Elder Scrolls um, isn't going to get. We're not going to get Elder Scrolls six for many years. I wouldn't expect at this point because they don't want to detract from sales of Elder Scrolls Online. And obviously, there's a lot of Fallout four DLC and then Elder Scrolls six development to begin. And the so so they're releasing things like the Elder Scrolls card game on iPad. You've got Fallout Shelter that came out for Fallout. And when you also look at the fact that Square Enix has done pretty well releasing all the old Final Fantasy RPGs on iPad. I them all. Final Fantasy VII just came out for iPad. It's £12. It's about $20 US. Um, selling crazy. Um, it's not that difficult now to port some of these kind of 2003, 2004 era games onto the iPad um, because tablet power is now sufficient enough to run them. Mm. And when you put all that together, it points towards a pretty obvious business move and uh, fan demand move uh, to, to put something like Morrowind on the iPad. You know, they did it with Baldur's, Baldur's Gate, obviously different developer, but uh, Bioware, but still on the iPad, plays reasonably well. Um, I, I think we'll see it. I think it would be a, a, a good way of them keeping... Um, the Elder Scrolls being, you know, release cycle without having to release Elder Scrolls Six or distract from sales of Elder Scrolls Online. So that's my little theory. Comment away, as I know listeners will. But you know, I, within twelve months, it wouldn't surprise me. I would love that because I I'm one of those guys who I have all of the Square Enix games. I bought all of them on on my phone. I play on an iPhone six plus, so it's nice enough to to do that. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you right now, like I speaking of, I'm just gonna pull up my phone here real quick, just because it's it's kind of fun. Um, I have all the Final Fantasy games. That's one through seven, including the after years for Final Fantasy four and Final Fantasy Tactics. So that's Great game. after years, highly underrated. You know, I really enjoyed it. Like you, like you said, it's it is underrated compared to the main series. But again, I bought all of those and I got them at. On the U.S. store, they were roughly somewhere in the $8 range to the $15 range, depending on yeah. which one it is. I bought yeah. all of them. Yeah. Um, let's see. Forgotten Realms. I have Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate 2. Icewind Dale. Those were 15 bucks a piece. Bought all three of those. Uh, Fallout Shelter. Banner Saga. <laughs> Fallout Shelter. Fantastic. I have put a lot of time into that game. Me too. Me too. Um, the Witcher Battle Arena. I'm I'm addicted to mobile gaming. Like, do I think it's do I think it should replace modern games? Absolutely not. MMOs you can't replace that. But some of these older games, I'm waiting for the original Legend of Zelda and a link um a link to the past to come out on iOS. Because good luck I, with that. That is never going to happen. I can hope. Because then I could actually play them, and I like those those um, top down RPGs like that. That's just the kind of games yeah. that I, I like on mobile because they're easy to play. I think I would honestly be more willing to jump into Arena and um, Daggerfall if they were yeah. on iOS. Yes. Yeah, too. yeah, Definitely. I was thinking that same thing. It's they're very hard for me to perfectly suited for mobile game mobile yeah. gaming. Because you don't need as many controls because you physically didn't have 
as many controls back in the day. Like they just weren't as complex as, as games as some of them are now, mm-hmm. uh, because you know the, the coding was slightly simpler. So it, it, it's perfect, perfectly tuned for this. I wrote an article years ago for Wired when Final Fantasy first was released on iOS, saying that basically these are the best. The twenty-year-old RPGs are the best modern mobile RPGs. You know, it's Absolutely. because they are perfectly suited for that kind of twenty minutes here, twenty minutes there, mm-hmm. commuting to work. If you're on a plane, like they're just perfect filler-type games that have got great story because they had to. Re- well, admittedly, Final Fantasy One story wasn't exactly deep, but it was enough. And they and it's for fans in particular. It's it's great. Oh, absolutely. I adore those games. Just like we said, you're on your lunch break, you pull it up, you you run through, okay, where was, okay, this is where I'm at. I'm in Final Fantasy 1. Oh, I gotta go save the fire crystal. Okay, well, I'll run through. I have enough time to do a dungeon, do do a save, done. It's wonderful for that. And I don't know about you guys, but it kind of irks me a little bit to try to boot up uh, Daggerfall and Arena on my modern gaming PC when I could sit there and go, I'd rather just play ESO, you know, but like you said, on my lunch break at work while I'm, you know, commuting while I'm doing that's I'll hop in, I'll hop in and spend 20 minutes trying to get out of that first dungeon arena. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's perfect. And I would absolutely adore that. Hence why I bought all these old RPGs on my phone. You might go, why would you do it? Because it's just perfect. I love RPGs, and these top-down, these old RPGs are perfect for those short mobile gaming sessions. You just save your progress and go. Listeners out there are thinking, guys, talk to me about Elder Scrolls news. It's true. This, this is Elder. <laughs> this is this is technically Elder Scrolls news. It, it is. It is. It, yeah, this, this is all spawned off of the Morrowind, and it, it, well, actually, it spawned off of the Imperial City coming out, which then spawned into Oblivion, which then I broke off to Morrowind, and then we talked about mobile gaming. It's a we've been doing that. A, we've been doing that a lot recently. It's okay. There's not a lot of news, guys. <laughs> do, calm your calm your horses. That was the big news. Imperial City's coming out. There's really not a lot of news, so enjoy the rabbit hole. Um, yeah, become Alice in Wonderland. Do it. It's fine. It's fine. Um, because yeah, it, Nate, you're absolutely right. If they brought out like one through three of the Elder Scrolls series, are games like I don't know, good old games just released Red Guard and uh, Battlespire. Really? Did they? Yes, Red they did. No way. Yep. I've never played Red Guard. I've already bought them. Yeah. Because they released Red Guard and Battlespire on good old games. The same guys who make Witcher, or the the, the platform that allows yeah. you to play Witcher. Um, they're really cheap, too. Let me look. Uh, Thank you very much. Good old games still, I remember the reason I discovered it was because I found I could buy Theme Hospital to run on a Mac. I was like, whoever did this deserves all the money. Oh, Thais adores Theme Hospital. She found it and had to. I had to help her put up a uh, what are what are they called the the DOS the DOS boot DOS box. That, yeah dot or yeah DOS box. I had to help her set that up. Uh, let's put it this way: right now they have a bundle right now in Good Old Games that you can get Battlespire, Red Guard, and Morrowind for twenty one dollars. Wow. Okay, that's that's a done deal. Yeah. All three of those, $21. That's it. So, I mean, I, I, right now, Red Guard, uh, Elder Scrolls Adventures Red Guard is five ninety nine. Sweet. Yeah. 
Elder Scrolls Legends Battlespire is five ninety nine. Buy. Oh. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So for both of them, you're spent essentially spending twelve bucks for those two games. Absolutely. It seems a bit uh, probably offensive to Zoss for me to go and buy you know a twenty year old companion game when they're revealing uh, or releasing Imperial City. It's like, yeah, I know you've just made this thing that's taking you many, many months to make. I'm going to go and play Dawnguard. Well, it is what it is. I mean, yeah. let, let's face it. A lot of people didn't play these because they weren't super popular. Like, I think Battlespire came out, was it for like a phone or something? Or No, the N-Gage. That's what it was, the N-Gage. Well, the N gauge. Yeah, exactly. What exactly happened to the N gauge? I used to sell those. Really? Oh. Yeah. When I was eighteen, I worked in a, a phone store and uh, used to sell those. Yeah, the Nokia N gauge. And people would ask, "Is you know, should I buy this or should I buy a Nintendo DS or whatever else was out at the time?" I was like, um, "Buy Nintendo." Yeah, well, yeah. Hey, buy just, Nintendo just... regardless. The the game on uh, that old phone was actually called Shadow Key. Oh, whole different, whole different, key. Whole different game, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, I got that. I knew it was one of those random ones, but yeah, these ones just weren't really popular. So you know how hard it is to find these. Like these were going on eBay for like three hundred dollars. Somebody's like losing their mind right now, going really. Well, yeah, but the people buying those are buying them because they want the box. Yes. Yeah, these are people that are building, you know, Skyrim dungeons in their own house. Basically, what I'm going to do in about five years' time. Uh, if um, I had enough money, I would do what that guy did. He's my hero. Just saying. Yeah, that that guy's a uh, that guy's a champ. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so kind of off there, but uh, if you're interested in filling out your Elder Scrolls uh, library, good old games, six bucks, Red Guard and Battlespire. Just go get them. There you go. All right, new Crown Store items hit the shelves on the twenty seventh. That's right. That includes the Nidic armor set, um, the duh, 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 the one wedding attire, and the noble outfit. And I think there was another dress. I can't remember. Was it the black wedding dress? Yes. Or the black dress? Or was that before? I can't remember. No. Yeah, it was the black dress for the girls. Okay. Or the noble the noble dress. I think it was called. That was out for a while because I already bought that. Yeah, it must be the noble dress then. Okay. Yeah, the noble dress. Uh, mostly costumes. I will say this: the Nidic armor, I love. I have it. I actually am wearing it right now on my main character because I just really like the look of the Nidic armor costume. Um, there are like three of them, and uh, Avi, you and I, we were talking about before. Really, it's the same costume, but one doesn't have shoulder pads. One has like this little kilted skirt type thing. And the other one doesn't. I, I have the skirt on because I like that little robe look. kind of reminds me of uh, the Templars from uh, Dragon Age, and I always like that. So um, that's what I'm wearing. Did you guys buy anything? No, I didn't buy anything, but I do think the armor is cool. And I also think the, uh, the male wedding suit is actually pretty cool because I put it on my Khajiit, and he kind of kind of made him look like a James Bond, like... A secret detective hanging out at a nice party sort of okay. look you know so i i really liked i really liked that but uh, no i didn't purchase anything nate i, I uh, want to get your opinion because you're really big in the uh role play community what what about you what do you think of these yeah um i didn't i didn't buy any um i don't the, the dresses i've already got a really nice one in fact it, it looks a bit it looks quite badass 
Um, the wedding suit for, for female is pretty awesome. They've got it on a Bosma on this screenshot that I've seen, which is pretty, pretty awesome. But it looks more like a male suit that a woman's wearing. Um, I don't think it's particularly well tailored for female characters. It's much more of a male design um, by the looks of it. Um, so I didn't, I didn't buy that. Uh, the Nedic armor, 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 Nedic armor. Um, yeah, it looks looks pretty good. It's a heavy. Is it a heavy armor set? I think. It, 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 yeah, it's supposed to run. I, see, I love heavy yeah. armor. So. Yeah, I, I love heavy armor, but but I prefer the look of light and medium armor. So I tend not to buy the, the costumes that are, um, or, or the armor sets that are heavy if it's purely cosmetic. Oh, um, no. I'm the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely where we where we differ there. Yeah, I mean, I like the bonuses of the medium armor because I'm obviously a damage dealer, but I prefer the look of the big heavy plate. Like that's just what I like mm. to. In particular, um, I actually have two questions, but I'll run off this. They they data mined some of the imperial costumes, which is like the uh, imperial battle mage sets and stuff like which are these costumes, but it's all imperial style. I cannot wait because I love the Imperial heavy armor, yes, and I cannot wait too. to wear it. <laughs> oh, that would be so awesome to have as a costume. Well, yeah, because I, I have to wear medium armor to do damage, because that's just what it is. But I prefer the look of the Imperial heavy, so I cannot wait till I get a costume of Imperial heavy so I can walk around in Imperial heavy costume, because that's what I'm waiting on. Zoss, where is it? Well, you know, the, the elephant in the room, elephant, is actually a goat. You can get a pet goat in the next update. A goat. <laughs> I've seen that. Uh, good old, good old ghost simulator. That's what I'm thinking. I'm gonna run it. I'm gonna like run off a cliff with the goat and then like turn around and record it while it's falling. Be like goat simulator in Elder goat Scrolls. Simulator. <laughs> now, Nate, the reason why I really want to ask this is I was talking to Avi about this, and do you feel? And th- this is my opinion, but I want to hear yours. My opinion is some of the sets don't really feel Elder Scrollsy. Now, again, this is coming from the most recent game in memory, which is Skyrim, which if you really think about it, Skyrim really is the backwoods, you know, of, of Tamriel, like, other than maybe Black Marsh. Um, so maybe the sophistication and, and, and uh, attire of, of the people would change, obviously, depending on where you're at. And Skyrim, obviously, as rustic as it is. But do you feel like the armor set or the the most recent costumes out of place? Because I feel like the wedding suit kind of reminds me of Vampire the Masquerade, and the noble attire is kind of. It, I feel like a mix of like the movie Wild Wild West and steampunk. I don't know why. Yeah, Red Dead yeah, Redemption. They, man. they remind me a little bit actually. Of, uh, they reminded me of uh, one of the costume sets in Fable, actually. So I, I'm inclined to agree with you, but I don't know. I mean, the thing is, these ga- those games, like in game, historically speaking, they are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years apart. So you're talking Skyrim's in the fourth era, um, Elder Scrolls Online is second era. Like so much stuff changes that um, I think it's as Elder. If 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 it's in there, then it's 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 Elder Scrolls. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, fashions, fashions come and go. We see this in the real world. If you're about 23 right now in the, in, in the real world, you're basically an 80s revivalist because you weren't alive in the 80s. So I kind of think that any fashion is probably fitting um, in the game. Just, just no on the 80s. No, it's the worst decade. No, stop. Uh, 
I agree. I, you know, <laughs> I, I grew up in the eighties, so I know the feeling. Yeah, but... me too. It's just like, no, just no, don't bring it back. It's better off dead. Just <laughs> move on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm in, I'm in agreement with you on that one. But I think as far as the styles go in the game, I think they're all pretty Elder Scrolls. I mean, the the way to look at it is is look at some of the less detailed NPCs in Skyrim and Oblivion in particular because some of the clothing styles in there particularly shopkeepers things like that you don't see a lot of those out in the in 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 the rest of the game because everyone's wearing armor and i think there are consistencies between some of the costumes we're seeing in Elder Scrolls Online and some of the NPCs in um uh, in some of the other games so i'm I've, I've not thought it to be a problem the only thing that's ever stood out to me uh, which i just mentioned is the fact that one of them the noble uh noble costume just reminds me of a costume that you can you can wear in, in fable and uh that just gives me this weird cognitive dissonance that i'm in elder scrolls but i'm looking at fable which is just weird right and avi made a really good point about this um see in my mind elder scrolls has always been it's not high fantasy it's not it's very dark agey kind of stuff where like you think yeah. of people walking around in threadbare type outfits like if you're not in armor you essentially, you know, it's very, it's not a high fantasy. It's, it's not, you don't see the gleaming male. You don't see that. This is very much dark ages in, in European history where it's like, you know, I would agree, but, but at the same time, those clothes did exist in those periods. You know, purple was, um, a real Royal color because it was so hard to die. So it became this um, purple has this connotation of royalty and of noble status because it was so difficult to die. So I think if they really wanted to go down that route, you'd see a lot more purples in the game. Um, So I don't know. I I I think they're all fairly. I think they're fairly acceptable right now. Even in the Middle Ages, you had you had great costumes, great great designs. I know Avi made the the comment. Avi, you were saying how. The costumes, depending on which location you're at, can be startling. Um, yeah, wanna... it's it's a, it's it's kind of like on the line of if uh, one of the people's wearing the noble outfit and you see him say in a in a sit in a, or in Daggerfall City, that looks very normal and you won't really even think about it. But all of a sudden, if you're right on the edge of the volcano in Stone Falls and you see a guy wearing a noble suit riding a guar through volcano, it's kind of like uh. What what did I just see right now? I had to yeah. wipe my eyes a little bit. So that's always been kind of immersion breaking, just when you see the the <laughs> certain suits in certain areas kind of thing. But hey, I what can you do? I love that you picked that out as an example because frankly that seems more acceptable than walking through Craglawn and seeing someone taking down a massive enemy with wearing a wedding outfit. This is true. <laughs> like yeah, one of them looks like you've basically just raided you know, raided a king's closet and just want to show off what you've done. Another one says you've basic you've done quite a lot of uh, you know drugs, <laughs> and you wanted to do something really odd, so you wore a wedding dress into battle. Yeah, yeah. De- depending scuba- where you are and what you're doing, right? So, put the scuba down, take off your wedding dress, and go home. Right. Take a rest. I mean, if you think about it, this, is the one thing that really sucks. Like. It's not that it sucks, but for people who are emerging, Nate, you're perfect for this episode. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, it's it's one of those things where why would people walk 
around in in a noble suit if um if you're going out to battle you wouldn't you'd be wearing armor right um it, it's it, the thing with games is where you break apart from reality and gameplay people are like i just want to run around in a wedding dress you wouldn't do that outside of town you would prepare before you went outside of town yeah you know the guilt one of my one of the games they did away with this but it was an interesting concept Guild Wars 2 had something called town clothes that you could literally toggle on and off. When you entered town, which did not have any combat of any kind because it was an instance area, you switched to your town clothes. So you'd be walking around in, you know, like whatever was fitting for the time. And uh, Nate, my, my Khajiit is now wanting to be on the show too, so I'm waiting for yours to make an appearance. Uh, no, mine's sitting up in a bowl next to me actually. Oh, mine just jumped in my lap and go. I have, I have, I have opinions. Let me share them. <laughs> <laughs> She's up here looking at the mic, like nuzzling near the mic, going, "I have opinions. Let this one speak." And I'm like, "No." Um, it was an interesting concept with the the town clothes because when you walked in, it's it didn't strip your armor off because you were still wearing it, but it it pretty much forced you into the town clothes. Which was interesting. You could toggle it off if you wanted to, but I thought it was an interesting concept that kind of made the world feel interesting. Because when you were in town, you're quote unquote safe, right? You yeah. know, like you don't have to be. Ah, there's guards guarding the wall, so now I can walk around in my noble attire. Um, and I thought that was just a neat concept. Um, but does I think a lot of it when we look at these suits, if people would only wear them when they were in town, I think it would be very awesome for immersion. But then again, um, you know, vice versa. There's, you know, people don't do that. It's a game. Yeah, well, <laughs> and it all, it also goes for what we see every day. Like me, I'm a big Red Dead Redemption fan, and I watch old shows like Bonanza and Gunsmoke. So it's like when I see the the noble suit, it makes me think of an old Western guy with a revolver sitting on his side. So it's, I guess it it also depends on just what your mind thinks, right? When you see these certain outfits <laughs> nice nice all right yeah. well let's go ahead let's move on to the next little bit uh eso live happened uh, now this episode i thought was kind of lackluster i mean i i love that they do the eso lives they're, they're really cool uh i wish i could remember the guy's name i apologize i had it and i forgot but he was on the ep- he was only a slot ESO Live a few times before. He's one of their concept artists. He seems like a really, really cool guy. And they bring him back for the um, for the concept art part. And there goes Mike Ajit again. Sit down. Behave. Daddy's doing a show. Don't look at me like that. Go get some skooma. <laughs> I'm actually going to get some catnip for her eventually and just kind of throw it places so she goes crazy. Um... But yeah, they brought him on again, so he was always entertained to watch to, to go over the the fan creations. And they had another gentleman on who is a, an application uh, developer who doesn't really work on the game so much. He works on auxiliary systems to help out the people working on the game, which is kind of neat. Uh, he was obviously the most best dressed of the entire crew. Came in like with a suit jacket on, looked pretty good um, compared to you know the t-shirts that most of the people wear. Um, but uh, they didn't really have a lot in the Q&A section, just a bunch of random questions. Now, I brought two out that I thought were interesting. One is, I think, amazing, 
and the other one I personally think sucks. So we kind of got a balance here. So, Nate, you're going to have to balance this out because I have one that I'm going to talk about that I'm not happy about and one that I'm ecstatic. Cool. Which should we well, start that's, with first? That's, I would start with the – let's start with the negative. Okay, the negative. Yeah. Someone had asked whether or not they feel if, – if Zoss has any plans to add mounts into the game, more mounts into the game for gold, things you can get in-game. Now, this person stated that they are indeed a collector and not being able to get all the mounts and stuff when they come out, especially the for a limited time only stuff, it just kind of hurts them personally. They want to be able to strive in-game and get it. And Zoss replied that no, they have no plans to add any mounts into the game that are outside of the crown store. Not a problem. All right, why, why, do, why do you feel that? Go ahead. Because mounts add nothing but cosmetic value, and cosmetic value is fine in the crown store. Okay. You can get a horse in the game, not an issue. Um, and I think the mounts are a decent thing to say, um, look, we're going to create some crazy alternatives, and for people who want them, it adds no benefit. You know, it's not like, you know, it would be worse if you were buy one and they were fully maxed out in terms of stamina and, pardon me, and speed and what have you. Um, but they're not. They use your same stats as everything else does, and they don't give you any competitive advantage. So I think, I think it's fine. I think it's a fine thing to have in a crown store is, is additional mounts. Doesn't bother me. Okay, um, Avi, what are, what are your opinions? Uh, well, I've spoke about this a little bit in the past on the show, but uh, obviously I'm not the biggest fan of this. I uh, I like the mounts being in game. I like there to be a reason. For you to spend your gold on a new mount and for you to go to the stables and look through their horses and be able to buy a horse. I like the idea of horses being something you get as achievements and just more stuff you can do in game. So you don't have to leave the game and leave the screen to go buy yourself a new mount. I like the idea when they put mounts like the the flame mount or the frost mount or the lightning mount, whatever it is, the cinches. When they put that stuff on the crown store, cool, but... Like, why put the regular Senche on the crown store? Sell it sell it for gold. Why not? You know, it's like same thing for a, a, a regular Guar or when the bear mounts come. The regular ones, you should be able to buy with gold. And then with the fancy ones, yeah, sell for crowns. But I don't know. I think the what we have right now in the stables is just isn't enough. Okay. Here's my opinion. I like games to have things in-game to do, Okay. Um, like give us a reason to do achievements to go do this, this, and this and award us with things like titles, mounts things to strive to play the game I'm obviously a big advocate of this, right? Like there should be rewards for you know doing all this hard content, whether it's raids, whether it's dungeons, whether it's it, it doesn't even have to be that, it could be my goodness, attend 500 roleplay events, I don't care, do something like to make people go out and play your game and then reward them with things that they can collect right like there are things you can do and i'm always an advocate of playing the game rather than playing my bank account but there are no there are no um quests where you win a mount the closest you can get is a quest where you have to deal with a talking dog right but see, that, that's, that's, that's something like they could do, like a big epic yeah, quest line a for problem. a zone or, you know. It, it, I agree. But, you know, the thing is, and sorry, I know I'm interrupting a no, lot. I, I, I'm quite passionate about this because it's another thing that, in a way, 
rewards you if you have a subscription as well because you get your crowns. And I, I am going to get to that, and that's one thing I wanted to mention. Okay. I think my biggest problem with this, okay, and I'm going to say this, is the fact that they remove stuff from the crown store. Would I feel as bad if, okay, you, I'm a subscriber, okay, and that's great. I get my 1,500 crowns. That's wonderful. But when you release... Uh, you know, like I've been paying monthly to play this game. I'm honestly of the opinion that if you're playing monthly, maybe it's stupid, but I feel like you should have enough crowns to buy everything that's that comes out that month because you're paying, right? Like this is you're absolutely paying this. Um, I have the issue when they release these mounts for. I honestly don't think the price is too high because if you look at World of Warcraft, who still has a subscription to pay the game, Final Fantasy XIV is the same way. They have a couple mounts in their cash shop, and they're twenty, thirty dollars a piece. Is the the Senshi leopards and stuff twenty five bucks too much? Not really when you think about the MMO standards. In fact, almost all the mounts they have are cheap. But the fact they take them away, why mm. should I have to throw more money when I'm already paying monthly? That's my problem. The fact that I'm paying, I'm paying you guys monthly my subscription fee which is wonderful thank you i love doing that but why should then you go out and go here's a mount that's 2500 which is more crowns than you get from your eso plus and then i have to go crud now i have to throw down my credit card and throw this money in here to get this mount because it's only available for a few days if they left it in like all the mounts and stuff were in the crown store forever then i could just save up over time and just get them as i go but it's optional. It's, it, it's still optional. And the Crown Store is really there to make money from the people who aren't subscribing. You know, yeah. and, and I think, I, and, and, and as fine. long as you're not, um, you're not penalizing people for not paying for them or you're not gaining something by paying, you know, I, have, I, I find it difficult to, to disagree with, what with, with that particular tactic. That's right. not to say that I, that I like the Crown Store tactics in general. Because I'm, I, I very much do not. I think that the difficulty is that it incentivizes them, incentivizes them too much to release stuff only on the Crown Store. Uh-huh. Um, but specifically talking about mounts, I think that is a perfectly acceptable thing to to do what they're doing with. Yeah. No, and I'm fine with that. It's just it really does annoy me that having to pay the sub fee. And then having to throw down more money because it's not enough crowns mm. to, to to get it. And I do understand you are making money, but the fact is subscribers are I'm a, again I'm old school, you may disagree, but I'm of the notion if you're a subscriber, you get the entire game, right? Because you are making that commitment monthly to, you know, pay for this game, right? You know. Yeah, yeah, but there's, there's, there are always things. Um, I mean, just in in life, I suppose, where you subscribe to something, but there are still additional things to pay for. You know, every, everything can't be included. Um, you know, uh, I, and and I do I, I do get it. You know, I think about you know cell phone and mobile phone contracts and things like that. I, I pay every month, but if I want to be making international calls or I want to get you know new covers for my phone, you know. I, I don't expect that I can call up my network provider and say, I need a new case for my phone because I just broke my other one. I don't expect them to give me that for free because it's it's costing, in that sense, manufacturing. In ESO's case, it's costing developer time to make something that incentivizes an additional payment. Um, I don't know. I, I sort of think that it's, it's, it's okay in that sense. They're not locking us out, but... 
But on the other hand, I do I can see where your concerns come from, and I know what you mean. You're basically saying there is something additional to buy that your subscription alone does not quite cover. Um, like there, you know, it's costing slightly more than you're getting. Therefore, you're always encouraged to pay that little bit extra every month in order to buy these optionals. But those optionals are going to be there, and, and as long as you're not missing out on a faster horse or you know, what I know is important to you and same to me is carrying capacity mm-hmm. would be a, a big, big deal. Then, um, you know, I, I sort of the balance there, at least for me in my play style, you know, is is all right. And, and I've never not once yet shelled out for any additional crowns. In fact, I think if I look at what I've got now, uh, my balance and crowns is currently eight thousand and one hundred. See, so I've not spent very much at all, and I haven't, and none of those came from any uh, additional purchase. It's just from my sub. See, I think this comes from my the type of play that I am. I'm such a completionist that yeah. it bothers me not having things, especially yeah. when it's something that I can work for. Like in 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 other games, it was, do I want that mount? What do I have to do? I have to grind reputation. All right, I sat out for hours grinding reputation. But I feel like a lot of this stuff in here, and again, this is me. Some people don't feel this urge. Like, they don't care. Like, I've known people in, in like, Warcraft and stuff where, like, a rare mop mount would drop that had, like, a .01% drop chance. And they were like, I don't care. You know, I have my, my horse I bought for, like, 100 gold 10 years ago. It's the only one I ever need. You know, they didn't care about that kind of stuff. And some people, they just don't. But, you know, like, like what the, the original... or the original question was i'm a collector i like to collect this stuff are you ever going to add more stuff because it's 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 starting to bother me that i have to shell out all this extra money when i'm a subscriber to get you know like they they do an update to the crown store every month and maybe this is just me and maybe you can go well now you just sound like you give me generation kind of deal but i'm of the notion that if you're a subscriber you are making the commitment monthly to pay these guys, and therefore, I it, it's going to be unpopular. And I'm going to say it. I don't think they should add more stuff to the crown store than what people get per month as a ESO Plus subscriber. If that means increasing the amount of crowns you get for subscribing to the game, you know, mm. like I think like if they go every month they update the crown store. I think every month with your crowns you should be able to buy everything that's in it. So here's an idea. Here's, here's another take, like a slightly advanced take on that, mm-hmm. which is what about if you subscribe, everything in the crown store is free? I See, yeah. I would be fine with that as well because that would encourage people to subscribe to the game and the people yeah. go, I don't really care. I'll just buy when I see something I want. Yeah. I would exactly. even be so okay with the fact that the stuff in the game or the stuff is only available while you're a subscription like everything is free like you can use the costumes you can do all of that but if you ever let your sub fee drop you have to buy it yeah just like a dlc just like no? a dlc yes i am absolutely fine with that yeah i agree that'd be awesome interesting idea i've never thought of that before now i mean i would even be okay with them removing crowns from the eso plus if everything was just free if you're a subscriber yeah like I, I do like it's I'm I'm of the notion that you should either like Nate said either don't add any crowns like you to subscribe you don't get crowns but everything's free just like DLC because I mean you have yeah. your mounts right 
let's face it, you have your mounts that you can buy in, in, in things gold. Those of us who were subscribers forever, I have my Tiger mount, which is pretty much the only one I ride anyway. Actually, I switch my mounts depending on the character. My main rides the Tiger, but other people ride other things um, to kind of give them their own flavor. But I actually really do like that idea of if you're a subscriber, everything in the Crown Store is just free to use. And if you unsubscribe, you can't put that costume on anymore unless you buy it. I, I do like that a lot. The only difference I would say is that I think that if you are a subscriber, then you should be able to at least keep everything that you acquired while you were a subscriber. I don't think taking it away encourages you to carry on playing the game. I think that just makes you feel almost blackmailed into continuing. Well, um, I mean, it's no different with the DLC, though. I mean, if you well, don't no, I buy it... Don't DLC if you unsubscribe? You lose it. Unless you unless you bought it with crowns, yes. So when Imperial City comes out, I'm not going to have to spend the 2.5k crowns because it's just accessible to me. But if I ever unsubscribe, I can't go into it until I buy it. So it's like Spotify, basically, which Pretty seems much. to have done it right. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's that's all right. See, uh, I don't see. I don't mind that kind of thing because yeah, I am subscribing. I am doing that kind of stuff. And it does encourage you to subscribe. I mean, why wouldn't it? Mm. I mean, they already encourage you by giving you the 10% extra gold drop, experience, inspiration, like all of that stuff. And to be honest, ESO is one of the... Look at SWOTOR. Heck, they limit the amount of bars you can have if you're not a subscriber. (laughs) You know, like there's a lot of stuff that they limit. What's the um, what's the MMO? I know there's one where you can only level a certain amount every month. Uh, I think it's Skyforge. It's Skyforge, because yeah. that would really drive me nuts. Where yeah, they limit your progress unless you yeah move it. yeah no. I'm talk about demotivating players. Yeah, there's no incentive to play in the way that a lot of us play MMOs. What is my play type right now? So I've played this Misa for twenty five days. Near is near enough. Yep. Um, and and I have a couple of others. I know my other one is at least eight days. It's the one that I play with my brother. So we're talking just over thirty days of life of, of playtime. There's <laughs> no way that I would have done that had I had my progression limited in any way. Mm-hmm. In any way. And that's a slippery slope. Like, but to me. ESO is pretty good with this. Yes, it's all cosmetic, and I will give you that. And, I mean, this is really just coming from a I like to collect things. And that's and that's the that's the same premise of what the question was answered, so I don't feel like I'm out of place by yeah. saying that because that was their same thing. I'm a collector. It bothers me having to buy more crowns uh, than just subbing to the game in order to get your random three-day-only yeah. mount, you know? But you know what? So this is this is a thing I think about from time to time, and it, and it always comes up when I'm listening to or doing um, one of the uh, Elder Scrolls podcasts. Because you know, people who listen to Elder Scrolls podcasts and who record Elder Scrolls podcasts, let's be honest about ourselves here. We're pretty obsessed, and we're pretty much like on the extreme side of fandom of games. Let's take that as given. Oh yeah. Um, yes. Now, what I find intriguing is what it must be like to be the person who says, I want a cool game, I played Skyrim, I thought that was great. They buy a game, they install it, they play through it, they don't listen to podcasts, they don't read the forums, they don't do any of this stuff. 
how does this affect them? Because they are the majority of these players. And I have to think about this in the same way that, um, you know, as my job as a, as a journalist and I'm reviewing, you know, new mobile phones or I'll be in San Francisco in a couple of weeks for Apple's next event. And it's, you know, I have to think at the time, like, what does the average person, is it not the average person financially, but just the person who is not obsessed with technology? What would they think to this? You know, would I say to my own mum, who has a, a nice phone, it is worth you going out and spending £400, $600, whatever, on upgrading the phone you've got now? Generally speaking, the answer is no, because for most people, the current situation is fine. And so it always gives me pause when we have these sorts of conversations to think how much of this affects us as these kind of completionists, these people who are quite happy to spend 30 hours of life, uh, 30 days of life playing the game. And for a lot of listeners, they'll think 30 days. Yeah, that's quite cool. But it's not a lot. It's not a lot by some people's standards. Um, But it is definitely more than the kind of people who just buy the game to play through. Maybe they buy the odd thing from the crown store. Like, those are the people that I wonder, like, how bothered are they by, say, mounts not being given out other than in the crown store? Because I can't help but think that they're not, they're not necessarily going to be that, that bothered. Um, and and we're, we're these hyper-passionate edge cases that think we just want, we want everything, you know. Yeah. And, I, and I'm with you on that. I, I would love to have everything. Um, but the average user, a little different maybe. Maybe. I'm curious to, to hear their thoughts on, on this exact issue. I think it'd be really interesting. No, I agree. And like I like I said, different people just they don't care. Like some people are like, I'm still sitting on crowns because I don't care about buying anything that's in it. Yeah. It really only affects a certain subset of people and a certain mentality of people who are playing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, and to be hey, fair, they are the ones who are going to throw the credit card down. Like yeah. you. Like me, it's like yeah. new Elder Scrolls printed book comes out. Want buy pre order? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've already done that. You know, <laughs> hundred pounds Imperial uh, Guide to Tam- to Elder Scrolls Online. Yep, no problem. Want the Hero's it. Guide. Yep, bought that too. <laughs> Plus, yep. what want? Yep, already you know, bought. We're, the, we're, we're those we're those people, um, but yeah. we're not normal in in the nicest possible sense. Um, Definitely not. Not <laughs> at all. We're the freaks of the world. Yeah. I don't know. But see, I'm also of the note, like, we were talking about mobile gaming earlier. You know why I like the Square Enix and the um, and the the uh, Boulder's Gate? 15 bucks, the game's open, and I'm not hounded by microtransactions. I despise microtransactions. Dude, you are opening a can of worms now. Uh, I, I, I can, do. A can of worms. I would rather a game be $1,000 and I never have to see a microtransaction. Would you like to know a fact about microtransactions? Yeah, go ahead. I've... How much of uh, Google's App Store revenue, money made, how much do you think comes from in-app payments, like microtransactions, and how much of a percentage do you think comes from uh, pay up front? Uh, they uh, what do they take? Thirty percent? No, I mean, I mean, in terms, of, regardless of that, but I mean, as in, well, I'm, I'm just curious, what they like? Do they take thirty percent of the cost? Yeah, yeah, it's, okay. they take they take thirty percent. But in terms of in terms of regardless of how that money split, like how much do they make from in app payments versus payments up front? In terms easily eighty percent. It's ninety eight. Yeah. 
Well, the thing is, ninety-eight percent comes from in-app payments because it works. It's it really annoying. It really, and this is why I'm glad, incidentally, that Theme Hospital is not yet on iOS because I know if they released it now, the, business, the success of those business models means it'll come out free to play, and it'll be you've got bloaty head syndrome. Pay with gems to cure it, and yep. that is not on. That is terrible. Yeah. Um, it's not. I, I get from a business perspective. I can't argue that it makes money because you know why? It's the mentality of twenty bucks. Well, do I really want to spend that twenty dollars? Or oh, one ninety nine. That's that's a coffee at Starbucks. Done. People yeah. just do it without thinking. But in the end, it ends up costing more because then when they get their iTunes receipt, it goes, "Oh my goodness, how did I spend a hundred and five dollars?" You know, because you don't think about it. So, oh gems. Oh, I get a hundred gems. Like one ninety nine. Yeah, sure. Done. You know. Yeah. It's I. All right, I'm going to say this, and this this is not really part of it, but it, it is true. The free-to-play model and microtransactions are, in my opinion, the shadiest business practice in the world. Yeah. Because it, it is not – it's good business, yes, but it is shady because you are essentially playing on the fact that people will not really think much of a dollar ninety-nine. But if they sat back and thought about it, oh, it's only $1.99, but I bought it 50 times. It, in fact, costs more than if they just bought the game outright. It yeah. is a shady, dirty business practice. So let me ask you this, because I agree with you completely, but I can't argue with this other point, which is back before people had home consoles and you know people spend their time and money in arcades putting you know 20 pence pieces or quarters into the machine to keep playing um that is basically a microtransaction that's pretty much what we have now it worked then it works now the difference is is that what they never did back then was um pay you know put a quarter in to carry on playing or you know put a dollar in and you know and, and 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 boost your health and boost boost your strength like they never did that, and that's the difference between the two, and I agree. But I think that we're, the, the position we're in now is that that model has matured to the point that people are, are aware of how annoying it is, and it's now coming out as a selling point, an actual promotion for your game to actually say, you have to pay for this up front. Like, that's literally an advertisement now, is we will charge you up front for this, no in-app payments. Great example of this is the just-released um, Roller Coaster Tycoon 3, which is out on iOS. It might be on Android as well. And in the screenshot for this game, they have these big words hard-coded into the image. Full game, no in-app payments. And I would buy that just because of that, because I hate the microtransaction. Exactly. So I think we're going to see more of that, because it's beginning to work. I I really hope it does. I I honestly want the free-to-play model for MMOs to die. Like, there's other MMOs... Uh, I'm going to say this, and I, I told my wife this, and she, she, she loves Wildstar. And I root for it for what it is because I'm a fan of the MMO genre. Not just Elder Scrolls. I love MMOs. And I know some of the people listening to this is, you know, your Elder Scrolls fans, not really MMOs. But I've been playing an MMO for years. I love, and Nate, you're probably similar with the role-playing. How else? The role-playing, um, especially in games... Mm. MMOs are a home place for you guys. You can't yeah. really do that in single player games, at least with friends. You know, you can't do that. MMOs, you do it, yeah, you can do it in your own head, but when it comes to doing it with other people, you, you need an MMO. Definitely. Yeah, and I'm a, I am such a fan of the MMO genre, so I'm torn on this. 
I don't want Wildstar to die because it's bad for the MMO genre. But I want it to die because I want people to look at it and go, maybe the free-to-play model doesn't work and people stop using it for MMOs because I hate it. I hate it within the very depths of my soul. I hate it. But you know, it will die when it stops working. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's there because the numbers suggest it. Like, the fact is, if it didn't work, it'd be gone. Like, it, it's there because it works. And as sad as it is, and again, this is, maybe this is one of the things where, you know, we're, we sit in our kind of um, our, our bubble, if you like, where we're extremely passionate about these things. We love yeah. these things. We talk about it all the time. But the fact that it works can't be ignored because they wouldn't keep doing it if it didn't work so until people actually stop wanting it and when i say people i mean the 80 percent of normal people not the other 20 percent until those people start getting you know sick of it sick of it then it's it's going to stay there um but i think that it is it is beginning to move in the direction that paying up front for stuff has a benefit particularly for the these sorts of big package titles Less so for your kind of Candy Crush puzzler type um, snacking game. So I, I think we're moving in a healthy direction, but I would agree that it needs it needs to go for the sake of storytelling. If nothing else, it needs to go. Mario was a plumber; he was not a salesman, and I don't think that um, you should have to think about business when you're playing a game. Exactly. Couldn't have said it better. All right. We're going to get off that with that. I'm going to leave uh, Nate and his awesome comments that will end that off. Now we're going to talk about the second part that I actually think is really awesome, which, again, kind of ties into the first one that we were just kind of ranting about, is encouraging the ESO Plus subscription. They are talking about ESO Plus will be getting more storage space, particularly for what they call crafting bags, which will be extra storage space to hold crafting components if you're an ESO Plus subscriber. Thank you, sweet baby not born Talos. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... More tempting alloy, more happy. (laughs) I am such a fan of the subscription model, and one of the reasons why I like the ESO Plus uh, is because, A, we're not free to play yet. You still have to buy the game, which is good. It keeps some of the the, the trolls out. But the ESO Plus is so lucrative, it's like, why wouldn't you want to? And this is just another reason where it's like, yeah, I don't know about you guys. I have a maxed out bank, and 90% of it is crafting materials, because I just, I hoard them. Yeah. 200 tomatoes? Hell yeah. But, no, I mean, I'm... 200 I'm... stacks of 200 tomatoes. <laughs> but the, the daft thing is, is that nothing needs tomatoes. That, that's the problem. Nothing needs it. I keep them because I can. I never need them. Yeah. It's a waste of time. I need about 20 different mats for most stuff that I do. 20% yeah. of mats for 90% of the stuff. And I do have a maxed out bank, although maxed out based on its current capacity. I know you've spent about a zillion gold on buying the add-on space, which I, I haven't done yet. For the 800,000 to completely max it out, yeah. 800,000. Yeah. Yep. yeah. To completely max out your bank, it comes out to about 800,000. Actually, no, I should take that back. I think that's with the character added. A fully maxed out character plus bank space is almost 800,000. Yeah, I, I'm not paying 800,000 gold to keep you know that much, that many Sorrel grapes. 
Well, Pop feel them. free, because it's coming in the crown store. You can buy it with cash. Yeah. No need. But I do agree that the, the, the ability to have better crafting nuts and separating those out is great, because, yeah, yeah it's... I think the fact that you, st- you know, that the, um, the people, and I know you do this and I do this, have, you know, mule alts basically for, yep. for, um, for, for, for different storage slots. Yep. You know, it's, it's there. You know, we, we use them as conduits for, for deconstruction or for holding, you know, I, I, have, I have one for um, things that I know I'll need in the future but not for a little while. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a sign that there's a demand for something else there. And, and we don't do that just with... Um, standard items. We do it for things that we need for, for crafting. So, yeah, this is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And anything to encourage subscription is great. Because here's the nice part, and I, I'm see the one thing. There, there is another podcast that I encourage everyone to go listen to. So this is a shout out to my uh, my buddies Cash from Mall of Nation and uh, Sunny Sunny's Diner and all those guys. It's called the Level Up Morning Show. Okay great general gaming pc podcast doesn't necessarily have anything to do with mmos it's just gaming in general but it's great production value is top notch you should give them a listen they had an interview with um david georgensen i think that's his let me just make sure his first name is right i feel really bad if i got it wrong <laughs> but uh for those who don't know who this yes that's who it is that's who it is david jordanson for those who don't know who this gentleman is he was originally the everquest uh pretty much like uh franchise lead for like near on like 20 years okay now, he got left go unfortunately when daybreak split away from sony online but anyway they had a a, a a conversation with him, and he's been developing MMOs for a very, very long time. And they ask him a question that I thought was amazing. And he goes, they ask him, which do you think is better? The subscription model for MMOs are free to play. And he came out, and I thought this was great. He's like, there's a couple of answers to this. First off, for the player... And the developer, the subscription model is the best model for MMOs. For the business, free-to-play is the best model. And he went into it going, the reason why free-to-play is the best model is because you essentially trick people into buying every little thing. You know, like and it's and it and people spend large amounts of money. Some people don't spend a lot, but there are those people who just spend absorbent amount of money on the free-to-play model with by microtransaction, everything. But he even says, as a developer and as a player, it's better for sub-model because the sub-model allows you just to have complete access without being gated by a credit card in any way other than the planned 15 bucks a month or whatever that you can budget out and you should be budgeting out as an entertainment. thing is with, you know, as you said, free-to-play stuff, you don't that's normally not something you budget for. You don't go and sit down like, Nate, I'm pretty sure you don't sit down and go, okay, here's my monthly income. I'm going to donate X amount of money to uh, microtransactions this month. That's not something you do. No. I'm sure that's something you do with subscription going, okay, I do that with my bills. I look down, I have a little spreadsheet to, to go, okay, this is for, you know, to try to figure out. And I factor in subscription to ESO uh, for myself and for Thais and then her subscription to uh, Final Fantasy 14. And that's something that I factor in. I don't factor in the 
microtransactions, and that's what they hope for. But mm. he's like, it also works for developers because they can see that info every month of going, okay, we have a million subscribers at 15 bucks a month. This is how much money we're going in. It's consistent because they can see that in live time. It's kind of look, look, like looking at your Twitter followers or your YouTube subscribers. You can see that number up and down through analytics. You can't figure out if that glowy mace you just put on the free-to-play store is going to bring in lots of money or no one buys it at all. And that's the worst part about the free-to-play. And that's why it says it's so bad for developers. You can develop a skin, but what are the chances that it's, it could be a hit and everyone in the world could buy it? Or it could be a flop and no one buy it at all. And then you go, wow, we made $1 million in microtransactions last month. This month we made $20 because no one liked the thing that we released. Mm. So there's no consistency. He's like, every month they're playing a, what's our budget this month? We won't know until we find out kind of deal, you know? And I, I, I thought that was really fascinating when he had that interview. So I, I actually encourage you to go listen to that one. I can't remember what episode it is, but his name's in the title. So, whew. I, I don't remember where we were. And we're talking about whether we liked the idea of additional crafting mat space in our inventory slots. Absolutely. And I think we concluded, yay, space. Yes, we did. I actually really like that uh, Guild Wars 2 does that, um, where they have a bank, but then they have a crafting bank as well where you can throw crafting mats. They don't eat up your main slot. You can't put anything else in those except for crafting mats, but it's just kind of nice to have that extra space dedicated to crafting. So... Yeah, I think it's I think it's I think it's a good idea. I mean, I, I like I mean inventory management is a time suck. We've all experienced that. It it's a pain. Um and I'm always at war with myself thinking, you know, do I need to spend this amount of time in managing my materials because realistically, I know that I don't need that much salt rice. Um do I really need to keep this uh, you know, I don't know, this particular recipe because I like to keep them in case anyone in my guild um, needs them if they become a daily in the provisioning rips. You know, it's that sort of thing. And and I don't like having to think about it particularly, but on the other hand, having to think about it does add a little, at least, element of not skill or challenge. It's just another little thing to think about that, I don't know. But I, but like you, Ag, I mean, I know that we both um, are the people that have our house in, you know, solitude in Skyrim. And we have the, the chest that contains all of our different specific weapons. And we know where stuff is. Yep. So micromanagement, you know, is, is, a, is an illness, but it's a great illness. Yep. In, in, in my houses, I had specific ones. You asked me for something, I could run into the house. Oh, you need... Yeah. Um, you need, I, I even had a little like lockbox for all the jet. Oh, you need a flawless Sapphire. Okay. That's upstairs. <laughs> second floor There's a little chest next to the bed. Open yeah. that up. That's where it's at. But you know, I did that with bookshelves and books as well. Oh I would arrange Were you a librarian? Like you had to have them in alphabetical yes. order. Yeah. Um, no, no, I'll be honest. I never went alphabetical. I did. Um, because, because that is a sickness for which there is no realistic cure other than just, just giving up um but yeah no the um but yeah i had i had books and i didn't organize them alphabetically but i did order them thematically so i would have bookshelves that had kind of history about the land i would have another bookshelf that had my history of creatures 
or characters. Um, and then in solitude, I had a cheese wheel room, which is where I kept all of my cheese wheels that I discovered. I had about four or 500 cheese wheels in there. <laughs> my girlfriend is sat here laughing her ass off at, at me here. <laughs> um, but I had about four or 500 cheese wheels, so many cheese wheels, in fact, that it would break the physics engine if I opened the door sometimes and walked in. And um, we're talking quite serious cheese wheelage. Um, my friends had the same room in the house, and he had his dead wife's room. <laughs> and what he would do is he would, he would marry in-game characters, and then he'd take them to that room and kill them, and he had a room full of corpses. Now, I think that my cheese wheel <laughs> room, while mad, was at least understandable. A lot of people have basements of cheese if they have a very large house. It's a great place to keep cheese or wine. But corpses, and specifically corpses of wives... That's pretty serial killer-like. Yeah. I, I haven't seen him for a while now. He's probably in prison for no, killing his wives. He's actually in the army. So yeah. if anything, his talents is at least hopefully being put to use in the right way. But <laughs> um, but yeah, an interesting way of micromanaging uh, unlimited inventory space. And again, equally fun. And maybe that's something we can get with housing when they introduce that next year. Um because I would sorely love to be collecting a room full of cheese wheels. Imagine this. Imagine if in your house you could have crafting stations, and as long as you were in your house, you could keep all of your materials, unlimited amounts, in your house, and that's where you went to craft. You went home to bake, basically. And I would I love could it. Have, I mean, can you imagine? Because I can, and in my head there's nothing but smiles and laughter. I I would never leave my house. It'd be people mm-hmm. like, hey, we're going to raid, uh, you know, Authorian Archive or Hellrobic. I can't. I'm organizing my cheese wheels. Yeah, you could you could come over. You could come over, and we'd have a little event, and we'd we'd all have like a a, a guild bake off. <laughs> the great Tamrielic bake off. I would absolutely love it. Like that was a little joke for your British listeners. <laughs> You Americans this, won't get that joke. This is one of those things we got a uh, a five star review about Estelian saying sometimes they have humor that slips past the <laughs> ag sensor. So I'm gonna have to really like you know study up on my British humor and go. Do I have to edit that? Is that a dirty sentence in some oh, way? No, 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 it's basically just one of the the really big um, British TV programs that happens every year called the Great British Bake Off, and it's. Um, it, it's it's like a baking challenge, okay. sort of thing. It's right. it's really it's really fun. So I don't, I don't even watch um, American uh, reality TV. So oh, you're missing nothing on either side. British American reality TV is equally dire. But I'll tell you something. A friend of mine who used to work at Gamespot when I was over there did a video where he did um, a Skyrim cookery class and actually cooked some of the recipes from Skyrim on oh. video. Um, yeah, that's actually really cool. Yeah, if you search something like Skyrim Cooking GameSpot, you'll find the video, and it's uh, yeah, it's a friend of mine who did that. Well, I say friend; it was a colleague at the time. But that's pretty cool. That's really yeah. cool. I, I honestly, I, being American, the uh, only British TV show that I find even at all of worth, and no offense to the British, is the IT Crowd because I crack up at that. Well, it was written by the same people who wrote something called Father Ted, which is about a load of priests stuck on an Irish island. Um, <laughs> That is a lot of fun, and that's where they got popular before doing the IT crowd. But oh. you should watch you should watch season two of a show called Blackadder, 
um, because it's all set in kind of um, medieval England. Um, British humor, yes, but it's got um, Hugh Laurie in it, who became Dr. House, of course. Yeah. Uh, but prior to him becoming Dr. House. And I have a few American friends who said they didn't know he wasn't American because his accent was so convincing in, in House that they didn't realize he was actually English and used to be in Blackadder. So it's, it's quite fun. You should check that out. I will have to, uh, I will have to pass that to at least Thais because she absolutely adores Hugh Laurie. So. Um, all right. It's time. Let's go into our next topic. Great discussions, by the way, guys. Uh, removal of gating for the Imperial City. Okay. They've announced that with the release of the Imperial City, uh, I'm going to give a little bit of background for the people who may not have known. First off, the whole concept of the Imperial City, the type of dungeon, spawns from a game called Dark Age of Camelot. There was a dungeon called Darkness Falls. In that dungeon, it was a PvE dungeon that people could PvP in, obviously. It was a very heavy PvP game. But access to Darkness Falls was completely reliant upon the Realm War, which is like our Cyrodiil. Those who controlled a certain amount of keeps and things like that would gain access to Darkness Falls. The thing is, it didn't automatically kick out anyone who had access before from the other two realms. Um... If you didn't know, like almost all the head staff, like Matt Fyror and, and 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 them, they were originally from Mythic Entertainment, who created Dark Age of Camelot. So this is essentially a port of Dark Age of Camelot in ES in Tamriel. Um, but that was the concept for the dungeon that you could when you when the gates were open in your PVE realm, the gate would open and people could flood in, and then you could clear it out, and then you could do for all the you know play the game against the monsters for high-level rewards. That was the concept for the Imperial City. Now, moving into the Elder Scrolls Online, they had several ways of accessing the Imperial City. You had through the sewers, but they originally were going to block off access to all but one faction. Originally, it was controlling all the keeps surrounding the Imperial City, similar to how you would control an Emperor, would be give you access. Then they changed it to controlling only the six home keeps. Now we're to the point where they've removed the gating at all, and now the Imperial City is just open for everyone. So there's no longer a way for your realm to block access to the other realms by taking keeps, and then you can have it free and clear. Now it's anyone can enter at any time. What are your guys' thoughts? Uh, Let's start with Nate. Actually, I was going to defer this to um, to RV because I'm not familiar enough with um, with the concept to be particularly interesting. If I'm perfectly okay. frank, that's fine. Avi, what are your thoughts? Um, okay, so um, honestly, it doesn't really bother me too much. I like the idea of the Imperial City just being flat out chaotic, and I don't like the idea of just because I'm in a certain campaign and. Uh, the Evanhart Pack's doing bad, I can't get into the Imperial City. So that's always been something that I haven't been too big of a fan of. But at the same time, it kind of makes me a little worried for what what's going to become a Cyrodiil. Because my whole thought was, you know, when when they get it locked, the other two factions have to go and get it unlocked for them to enter. So that kind of keeps the Imperial City alive at the same time of keeping the, all of Cyrodiil alive too. 
and now it's on the line of oh everybody can just kind of run into the imperial city which you know everybody's gonna do for the first at least the first month of this patch so uh, i'm curious of how it goes that that direction but honestly i don't have a problem with it because i just want to be able to jump in anytime okay um avi i was gonna say get out of my head because you almost echoed exactly what my issue was <laughs> i like the idea of locking and the main reason for this is Cyrodiil now is just going to become empty. Because at least before, there was something to encourage people to fight in Cyrodiil. We want into the Imperial City. Let's go take some keeps. Now it doesn't really matter. You know what I'm going to do right now with the Imperial City? I'm going to find a... Um, I'm going to find a, uh, a realm that is mostly Ebonheart Pack, because you know they're going to happen. Where there's very little AD presence, and that's where I'm going to go. I mean, will I run into AD or DC? Possibly. But if if the majority of PvPers aren't there because, you know, there's not enough of them and they want to earn the APs, so that's what they're doing, they're going to be where the battles take place because I don't think you're going to get the type of AP gain while by skulking around the Imperial City as you would from doing the actual battles. I fear for the health of Cyrodiil in, it, in itself, but I also dislike the fact that this is just going to become a giant gank fest for a bunch of Nightblades stealthing around and waiting for people and killing them. I mean, I mean, I get the idea of that's what it's designed for, and it's good for the players who like that kind of gameplay. But I can tell you right now, I would not. I, I'm a PVE care bear. I'm fine with that. I will not be touching the Imperial City for probably the first three months. I kid you not. I'm probably not even going to go into the Imperial City for three months. I'll wait for it to become old news, and then I'll go in. It's, I mean, it's going to become a giant death match. That's all it really is. You know, you, you're you in there, you jump down, you bite until you die, you respawn right back on top, and then you jump right back in. So it's just like an old Call of Duty death match round where, oh, I don't want to go play through all the rounds and die and wait uh, the same thing as, oh, I don't want to run back on my horse or go to this keep and that keep. I just want to... Yeah just want action 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 who's gonna so. who's gonna farm telvar stones when that's all it is you're gonna lose them all the time no one's gonna actually be doing something i'll wait till it's a time where no one's on like you know two in the morning to go and then i might only run across one or two at least by blocking off the imperial city it was a way of you going okay there could still be some guy in here but if we kill him he can't get back in likewise the people who were hidden in there could go, okay, people think they're safe. They're going to be farming tons of Telvar stones. Let me kill them, and then I'll get huge amounts. Versus now, what's going to happen? I know a lot of people aren't going to hold more than the barest minimum to bank because they're not. It's, since it's free-for-all, you could be run across by people at any moment in time. At least before, when you had control of it, you kind of had a... Uh, uh, a cautious safety you knew that anyone who was in there will be in there but no reinforcements would come so you could at least think rationally that hey i can farm the people are thinking oh i'm gonna be able to get crap tons of telvar stones by stalking people who've been farming for hours that's not going to be the case anymore because no one's going to want to do it because at any point in time a zerg could run through and just murder you i don't know that's my thoughts again old school gamer I like the original concept of Dark Age of Camelot with the Darkness Falls that when it was open, 
that was your realm fought to get it open. And when it opened, that was your realm's time to farm some gear. Like, that's when, like, almost the entire realm emptied in the world thing and went into the, you know, uh, Darkness Falls to f- clear out any people who were in it and then farm gear. That's what you, it was. You know, I think I think they just want chaos. I think that's all this is. I think they want they want a place in Tamriel that's in actual war. And especially how they're talking about how this is going to be the last part, pretty much the last part of the Molog Ball story and, you know, the end of it all. So it's kind of like... Uh, they got to make it big. They got to make it really chaotic. And that's exactly what they're doing. It's like if you want calmer, there's other places in Tamriel to be than the Imperial City in the middle of this war. So that's the kind of that's kind of the line where I like it right there is that it is just pure chaos and it brings war to Cyrodiil and not as much of just you're protecting your side of Cyrodiil and trying to make your side bigger by taking a little more than losing it and taking it and just it's just war it's just complete chaos it's the soldiers and not the uh the guys behind making up making all the plans and drawing out the maps hmm um yeah i don't know i really think it'll just become a the the real pvpers the gankers will hide in there but the real pvpers will realize if we want to farm our ranks and try for emperor and do all that we'll just skew the imperial city because it'll be fun for a while, but after the first month or two, after they have their VR-16 gear, et cetera, et cetera, they may go in once in a while, but it really won't be where the 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 big open-world PvPers are. The, the gankers will be in there, but that's about it. I honestly think that after a few months, it'll be gone, and that's when I'll go in. That's my thoughts. Oh, so I, I see what you're saying. So you're saying uh, the Imperial City is going to die, not not Cyrodiil. And so sooner or later, everybody will be back to Cyrodiil and nobody will be in the Imperial City. Right. I really think so. Yeah. I think the I big PvPers okay. yeah. will go back to Cyrodiil because the AP farmers and stuff like that, you're not going to get much AP in there. Because I mean, you might at start when people are in there trying to get their stuff, but eventually it, you'll get more AP by taking keeps and doing the normal sieges. You'll have the gankers who like to sit in there and gank people one-on-one. That, that'll be about it. Well, I kind of hope it dies off a little bit, honestly, because I want to be able to go fight all those big bosses down there one day and actually fight them and not worry about getting ganked on the side of me. But eh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Like I know uh, we're going to do some Wings of Fate events, but I won't go in there with less than, you know, a group of people, like a big group of people. I'm because of, of just that very fact, the gankers. Uh, If you're with a group of people, that should prevent at least most gankers like they may try to get you when there's stuff there but i mean if uh, most gankers are going to be in small groups one or two people they're not going to go up against a group of 10 people because they know they'll get murdered any stones they get will mostly be taken away again so um that's that's how i feel all right anything else before we move on no okay all right, it's time for the Tales of Tamriel, where we get to talk about what we did this week in-game. And as per our custom, our guest, Nate, tell us about what uh, you've been doing in-game. Well, at the moment, I have been putting quite a lot of effort into getting all of my trade studies completed for my crafting. Um, I did a, a complete respec so that I could get enough points <clears throat> to max out all of my crafting skills so I can basically get through all of them. 
Um, that's actually quite literally what I'm doing right at the moment. It's the reason that I was hunting for all the Dwemer motifs <clears throat> to get those done. Um, sort of trying to do a few things before Imperial City drops. So I've been focusing a lot on that. And that's kind of been the focus for the last the last week or so is um, is doing this. And I have to say the add-on research assistant, which I know you use, um, is an absolute godsend um, in terms of buying items that you need traits to deconstruct or to um, to learn. It's been a it's been amazing. Uh, and aside from that, doing um, some of the circular tours for of Dwemer ruins, getting these uh, getting these motifs. And, uh, and a few sort of uncompleted quests in, in the meantime as well. In the uh, what am I in right now? I think I'm in the DC. I'm in the I'm in gold of Ebonheart Pact. Um, so EP is my faction, and I'm under gold, which I think is that DC or is that AD? Uh, okay. AD so, is the gold. For... AD is, yeah, AD is gold. You're right. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing that. But the slightly annoying thing is that I have an alt that I play with my brother that is also AD. So I'm now actually doing the same zone on my main as my alt, which I found to be a little bit annoying. Right. So that's, that's a bit of a challenge. Hmm. It de- depends how I play. When I'm playing on an alt, like my main character is the one that I sit down, I take time to quest, I read everything, I talk to NBCs, my other guys, I just run through. Yeah, actually, that's exactly the same. Exactly the same. It's more that it's the it's the degree of familiarity that I have with the zone, and maybe that's a good thing. But, and because I, I tend not to to do the, the questing other than for the XP on my alt, because I'm mostly doing it so I can play with my brother. Um, he's actually way ahead of me in his level in that he's like halfway through um, Stone Falls now, which is where you go after you complete AD on, on the uh, AD faction. Um, but there's just something a little bit weird about just being in exactly the same zone just physically, just as you're running around. But I'm deeply, deeply excited to be getting stuck into, um, into, into Black Marsh. Uh, which I know you despise, and it is a roadblock for you. But I am moist with with scaled excitement for for some black marsh adventuring with my Argonian friends. Nice, nice. See, uh, it's the one thing I guess you and I uh, would differ on. I, I I I have so many alts who are stuck in Shadowfen, and I can just not Shadowfen, yeah. push my way out now. The hist judges you, sir. The hist judges I, you. I know. I, that's why I don't play an Argonian. I would never <laughs> return to the hist. Hey, no, actually, I never play as an Argonian. But but Misa was created as kind of as an imperial, um, but also as an Argonian sympathist sympathizer. So um, there's a there's a deep rooted uh, love there. She's spiritually an Argonian, if not physically. That kind of reminds me of Thais, where I know if they ever release race changes, she's switching from Breton to Argonian. Just yeah, see. yeah, I wouldn't do that. She and I agree on a lot of stuff when it comes to um, Argonians, but race changing is not something I would do because it, it's law-breaking for me. Disguise, yes. No problem having a disguise, but physically race changing, um, I, I wouldn't want to do that. Well, you've built up a lot of story like yeah. role play for your character. Yeah. Whereas... And Misa, Misa has a sister. 
as well. And oh. and I don't like to think how that would affect the role playing. Other than having to kill her off and essentially recreating her as a new character. No, well, no, that's like, night's night. That's what he does. Like he, he, oh, amazing yeah. role player, but he's never like he. I think he's got a character almost a veteran, and that's as far as he's ever got because he he allows his his characters to be killed, and he never resurrects them. Once a character's dead, he's dead. That's cool. I like I like that. Avi, you could have done that too because you delete characters constantly. I should I should have killed my VR too. I should have gave him a nice ending before I deleted him. Whenever uh, you that see, you're perfect for this. Just join uh, one of their role play groups when you want to delete a character and allow them to kill you, and then just delete him. Sure thing. I already have a another deletion in mind. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, you should you should you should do some RP there. That that could be a lot of fun. There's a whole bunch of events always on the TSORP forums. Right. Right. All right. Uh, is that all you have for this week then? Yeah, definitely. Um, apart from that, but the other thing is um, on a related note is that I'm currently reading the Skyrim um, book that, that came out um, yeah. with the second in the printed series. So, um, so that's been great. I took that on holiday, but I never got any real chance to read it because my girlfriend and I were too busy doing IRL role play basically in the uh, the ruins of Ireland which is uh, a video I put on YouTube and sent you that a link to and uh, so I never actually got a chance to read much of it but that's my next my next read right alright uh, Avi what about you sir alright so uh this week, or just uh, before the show, actually, I got my Kajin Nightblade, the VR1. Ooh. Congratulations. Yes. Congrats. So I got Jesus. two. <laughs> I got two in the Evan Heart pack now, so uh, they're slowly building. Uh, I made a new. I made an Argonian, actually. I made an Argonian sorcerer, and I named him a Crawler of Dungeons. Wow. <laughs> give, it a, nice. give it a. Yeah, give it a little dungeon crawler shout out. Me. Of, of appreciation. I, yeah, he's, I actu- like he's actually what my second. Ar- he's actually my second Argonian. I already have a VR one on the Daggerfall, but he might not be around much longer. So, all right, role play sacrifice. Go. Yeah, my, might have to give. <laughs> might have to give him a little story or something. Give him a story. Let him kill him off. They'll yeah. love it. Oh man! Just, just, just go to like the TSO RP forums and say, "Here's my character. Here's a backstory. I want to delete him." Let's kill him off. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get some people to go, okay, let's do it. Yeah, sure. I can, I, I can find a perfect reason to kill you off. No problem. Like, there's got to be, there's gotta be some Daedric ritual somewhere that someone wants to perform that needs someone to die. So there you go. At the end, I'll even give the screenshot showing him on my eight-character playlist and then the screenshot of him not there anymore. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah. it a lot. That's so ghoulish. <laughs> oh, man. I've done it before. It comes from playing Skyrim, you know? Get a character to level 80 and go, all right, delete all the save files and start all over again. I played the same character forever. I was actually... What's really funny is I played World of Warcraft for so long, I logged on and I did a, uh, a time played. Over a year and a half of logged in time. <laughs> I'm like, dear Jesus. But that's over, what, 10-year period? Yeah, yeah, over a 10-year period. But I essentially spent a year of the last decade in on one character, because I really only play one character in a game. Like, that's what I do. 
That's dedication. Um, I, can't I that. make one character, and that's all I really ever play. Like ESO is one of the only ones that I've actually made other characters, but you can't even get into them. Like they're mostly, like you said, mules and alts and things. Like I, like my second VR character. The only reason why I made her. Uh, other than for crafting, like I'm leveling things up to VR one so that they can do all the the crafting turn-ins because all the highest level crafting turn-ins require you to go to Belkarth, which yeah. you need to be VR one, and that's mm. all I'm trying to do, so I can do dailies on them. I don't actually ever plan on leveling them, but the reason why I even have the other alt is for, as I say, I play my main character with my wife Thais, and that's what I do. Um, <clears throat> but I also run guild events for our guild. And I, if when new stuff comes out and I haven't got the chance to experience it with her, I don't want to do it on my main character. So I made an alt so I can go in and do things with the guild that's literally all I do. I don't really care if she gets gear. I don't really care if she gets achievements. I just don't care. My main is the only one I do. Why, hello again, Khajiit. Do you have words to speak? Yes. <laughs> this one wants skooma. That's what this one wants. Even though uh, last night at the mead picnic, she got out of the house and tried to run away, so I had to go grab her, and she got very angry, and she has back claws, and when I went to put her back in the house, she pretty much ripped two furrows of gashes in my hand. So I have, like, two inch-and-a-half-long gashes in my right hand from trying to get her inside the house, and she didn't want to go in, so she razored me up pretty good. Didn't you? Uh. Well, at least you didn't spill your mead. No, I poured mead on it because there's so much alcohol in it that it just <laughs> infection. Oh, my goodness, did that burn. Oh, my goodness, did that burn. But I don't have to worry about infection in my hand now. I don't there you go. Because my hand pretty much rotted away afterwards. But... <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else from you, Avi? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. You know, just leveling the, leveling the Lobby characters and trying to get them all to VR1 before the not before the patch, because that's obviously too late now, but uh, just so I can get them all to VR16, and yeah, there we go. Nice. All right, well, my tales this week is, obviously, we ran Pledge Night on Tuesday, um, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know why I have Michael and Michael in here. But anyway, <laughs> I, I typed the name twice. But we ran pledges. This was so much fun because we did it with Kilt, uh, the, the vet pledge, which was uh, Elden Hollow. So if you know the final boss is that big uh, Daedric Titan with all the fire. Oh. Um, Bogdan the Night Flame. Bogdan, yes. yeah. What he's, a thing. He's so much fun. Um, but we did this at VR 12. We, we maxed it out. And it was Kilted who was tanking. Avi, you were with me. Uh, yep. Yep. And uh, Michael, one of our uh, Patreon supporters, M I K L K four E S O. I think I. Sorry if I messed up your thing, uh, but he came with us and he was doing it as a VR one healer. So we were doing VR twelve, but he was a VR one healer. And I got to tell you, that was probably one of the most fun I've had doing a dungeon because we wiped quite a few times, but we were just determined to get this. Yeah, and that was good. I know our first one, we're like, okay, between Avi and I, we had quite a bit of damage. Like, we really did. We're like, okay, let's just ignore the ads. We should be able to burn it, right? Well, that ran into a little bit of an issue because, obviously, stamina issues, etc. And, and i got to say, 
Michael was Johnny on the spot. Anytime I called over TeamSpeak, out of I had a spear dropped on top of me, <laughs> and that was wonderful. Um, but eventually, it was very hard to heal that because obviously everything's VR12, hits like a truck, he's VR1. And so we're like, uh, we started off strong, but near about the halfway point or so, it started to taper off. So I think our next attempt was what we were going to do was we were going to break off and we were going to do the ads together. Uh, again, that didn't really work out. Well, too one, well. one of us was, you were going to kill the wide ads and I was just going to DPS the boss. Yeah, that and was we're just going to ignore the black ones. But Yep, that was our f- second type strategy. And, and that <laughs> worked a little better. But again, we just did not, we didn't have the staying power to, to continue doing that because poor Michael was healing his little bum off, but. Um, we found out what was the major concern was he did such a good job healing, but being VR1, he pretty much had to be healing the entire time. And the black ads were really screwing him up because they would mind control him and try to run him off, and they it would run him into fire. And VR5 or VR12 fired hurts a VR1 very badly, and that's where we, we were having some issues. So finally, Avi and I were like, all right, we got this. Avi, you're black ads. I'm white ads. And we went through wrecked face and actually finished the entire fight. It was fantastic doing that entire fight. Um, that must have been very difficult with a VR1 healer. It, it was pretty difficult, but like the best part is we were all you need determined. a good healer for that battle. Like oh, a yeah. really good healer. Oh, yeah. Even at, even if at, if you're at level, it's just so much damage. There's so much fire going out everywhere. Uh, the ads that my control you love running you through the fire. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it is so much. So he was healing like crazy because obviously being only VR one, uh, the he had almost be healing the entire time. Um, but that was that was so much fun to do. Um. But we actually we downed it. We got it. We we killed him. So uh, I can't remember. Did anyone get a helm off of him? I don't think so. No, I don't think anyone no did. Helm. Uh, but that was one of the most fun pledges we've done. Um, the other thing I've done, I've been working on my one alt, and this is the realization of what I had. Um, I get to play my computer considerably more than Thais does, and we haven't even been able to play together for a very long time and I'm getting really tired of uh, I miss my main I miss playing with my wife too but I really miss my main um, and he's stuck in Bancori because we do quests together um, but I, I've reached the point where it's like I just really want to play my main so my now goal is to level my alt character through silver content like I took a screenshot of all the areas we've cleared on my main I took screenshots of all the current quests. So my goal is to go through, clear the same areas, and get my alt up to the exact same area where my main is, and then just Parker. And then I will actually be able to play my main again and go through all the story on my main character. So you want to finish gold then, yeah? Oh, I have not finished gold, no. Mm. I'm you, sound ex- you sound excited to go into Dominion territory. I'm excited to continue the story. <laughs> um, I'm really excited to meet Rosamdar. No, not for the queen, but for Rosamdar. I, I like him because uh, he cracks me up. For uh, the queen. For the queen. 
I I look at Elder Scrolls as being a very dark, dark world. So I'm fully in in favor of of the Ebonheart Pack marching into Aldmari Dominion areas, and I'm talking like brutal dark age battles where it's like pillaging and burning and yeah, beheading beheading and and having everyone in the ebon heart pack take their turn with uh the queen <laughs> i know i went dark there this show just went this show just went rated r i went real i i just said take their turn i didn't necessarily say what those are who are of an adult will know what i'm talking playing about. playing chess Hey, that stuff happened <laughs> in medieval battles. When you sacked a city, the soldiers did that stuff. And I'm fine you're, with you're, that. Um, you're channeling, what's his name? Um, who's the guy, the the ladies' man knight? Uh, Darian Darien Gutierrez. Yeah, yeah, Gutierrez, I think his name is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy that I despise and you inexplicably love. Oh, he's hilarious. <laughs> I love him. He can't be slain soon enough. Uh, Razamdar is another one that I really like because remember in one of the I think it's the main storyline quest you have to go and talk to all the pack leaders right and he's there staying beside Queen Aren and uh, he goes as you're leaving he goes before you leave uh, this one very much likes would like for you to tell uh, Naru that if she wants to dress up as a maidservant again she can come work for Razamdar you know uh, kind of in a yeah. cheeky little dirty way, and Queen Aaron's like, "That that was inappropriate." And he goes, "Razam Dad regrets nothing. <laughs> He's my hero." <laughs> That's because Naru is a hot elf. And by the way, the name yeah. of my iPad is Naru. She is a hot little. Oh my my goodness! Look at look at how she. Uh, if you do the quest lines, especially follow her in in Deshaun and stuff, because the stuff she does, like when you had to intercept the one house courier. She like entices him up to her bedroom. Oh yeah, various suggestive things, like really suggestive things, and I I like that they kept that because the the Dunmer society was not a very monogamous society. They were very open and 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 sensual. It was very common for uh, dark elves to enter a type of pleasure house in their early years. So brothels, yeah. I mean, it is what it is. That's the type of culture they had. They were very open and and um, I don't necessarily want to say polygamous because that would be marriage of type. But they were just very promiscuous. They were promiscuous type people. You know, it was not it was not frowned upon as in most societies to work in a brothel. It was actually encouraged so they could learn the more sensual type arts. Um, so heck yeah, Dunmer right on um but yes love her love nario mm-hmm. yeah nario needs her own quest line i kind of hope that she'll rear her head her lovely head in the uh, dark brotherhood expansion when that comes out because that's a match made <laughs> it, it really is because she is part of the 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 progenitor really of i, I guess progenitor is the right word they didn't really disappear but they were essentially the main the the shoot off of what dark brotherhood became uh, the Morag Tong happened first, and then there was a like a you know a, a there was a, bran- a branch a branch off to where yeah 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 um, that 
I mean, well, if you think about it, the Moratong was the original Assassin's Guild, but they generally revere, I think, Boethia, et cetera, et cetera. It was only when Dark Brotherhood branched off and started revering Sithis that there was that that kind of um, almost religious division between the two sects, and that's what brought them the difference. So the Moratong still exists, but only operates within Morrowind. Whereas the Dark Brotherhood spread out and went everywhere, because I believe they're they're actually legal in Morrowind. Oh, they are. Yeah, the the Dunmer very much um, allowed for assassination as being an, an acceptable way of dealing with rivalries. That was another cool. another sign of how the Dunmer people are, just like how they have slaves. Oh, they're they're wonderfully hedonistic people. Yeah, right? just adore them. Me um, too great great characters mm. uh, and 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 good um good storyline that was the one with the lodos plague wasn't it in the yes it was yeah mm. good storyline magistrix vox and and, That's and that whole line oh it was a wonderful storyline absolutely wonderful um no fantastic i i do i see this is something I actually wanted to ask you earlier with the meet the characters and stuff like that. Do you feel like those were very Elder Scrolls-y? Because in other games, it's not the Elder Scrolls whatever, Darien Gutierrez. It's always been the story of the land where characters just kind of played their part and left. So yeah. the meet the characters where they put such a focus on characters was just kind of jarring to me. Not necessarily bad, just jarring because the Elder mm-hmm. Scrolls has always been the world and the characters made their brief appearance and disappeared. Um, I try and, I I try and separate what is law and what isn't. So basically anything outside of the game, I kind of ignore and think, do what you want. Anything inside the game is law. That's where I care. So I think, no, it probably wasn't very Elder Scrollsy, but at the same time, you know, I'm not going to overthink it. I only really care about what's inside the game. Because you had the, um, what was the name? The thingy of blades? I can't, I can't remember. Drake of blades. Drake of blades, yeah. I kind of liked it because it was, it just, it did it did serve the purpose. Like, it's there as promo, but it did get me quite excited about who this this group is that exists within there. And let's let's not forget that Xenomax, like Zoss, is just up the road from, from Bethesda. Like, these guys talk constantly. So what is in there is very much law. Like, it's sometimes, it, it's easy to think that it isn't because it's not Bethesda that's making the game. But those guys talk continuously. Like, half the staff at Zoss used to be at Bethesda. So yeah. these are people that, that very much care about law. So it's, when it's in-game, that is what I care about. What goes on the forums and in, and in ESO Live and what have you, you know, do what you want for promo. It's fine. But I, I did like it, personally. No, I'm a, I'm a, I'm with you on that. Why would Bethesda? I mean, it's still owned by the same company, right? Zenimax Media is the overarching company that owns. It is, Zenimax but it's more than it, it is. It's more than just business, though. I mean, these yeah. are people that care about the same thing, like payslip notwithstanding. They basically care about the same stuff, and you know, whatever they do with you know Elder Scrolls Six has to be has to be law has to continue whatever's here in in eso like it and it, and it will yeah you know and and it will so you know no and i i agree and it's it's one of the things like they know that this series is beloved there are lore nuts like us 
what makes an Elder Scrolls game to us? It's the feeling of the world itself. Like, that's why we come to these. They wouldn't botch their, I personally think, one of their best IPs. I'm not a huge, you know, what you know, whatever the other games are. I mean, I like all their games, but, you know, this is their <laughs> this is game for me. <laughs> um, yeah. It is what it is. I mean, I love the idea of Fallout, but I've always been a fantasy kind of guy. So Elder yeah. Scrolls for me, it's the world and the lore and like every. It's I was telling some other people because I'm I'm working on another project. Um, uh, that well, I'll say it now. Uh, I officially joined up with uh, an indie MMO company who uh, is making an MMO. Uh, called sacrament and one of the things that i'm most advocate about in our discussions is lore of the world making the lore feel like it's something you can live in don't just don't don't just blizzard entertainment where you retcon the lore if you make something make the world feel like it actually matters and that it feels alive because obviously a lot of the people who are making that game came from eso like uh wicked that's his new project um yeah that's one of the things he's working on. Like he's one of their main programmers, and this is something that we're you know passionate about. And we love the Elder Scrolls, and the reason why we love the Elder Scrolls is because of the lore of the world. So I don't feel like they would be messing with the lore and going their own way without Bethesda going. Yeah, we approve of that. That fits within the lore um, of of the world. Like it, it just wouldn't because they they know how. My goodness, you know how much they had to put a book in game to to talk about Tiber Septum and the the changing of Cyrodiil because obviously at this point in time it was believed that Cyrodiil was a deep dense jungle and that when Tiber Septum essentially achieved uh Kim or Kaim or however you want to pronounce it Chim or whatever that he physically changed the landscape of of uh Tamriel not Tamriel, uh, Cyrodiil, to more befit his people, the Red Legions. Uh, and again, there's another podcast called Elder Lore. I encourage everyone to listen to it. It gets really into the lore. He did a fantastic job. I've done this before. But it talks about Kim and the ability to change the world around you. And that's what it, it said. But the amount of lore uprage when they started showing the in-game screenshots of Cyrodiil. I understand why they did Cyrodiil the way they did, because they wanted it to be a harken back, but then they had to go back, and they did have to change the lore. Um, and they put in a book about the lore of going, oh, when they wrote this, it was just a uh, a misconception. It was, you know, not necessarily jungle as in, you know, rainforest. It was just, you know, like, uh, what is it, the... I don't know, ACDC song, Welcome to the Jungle kind of thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, Guns and Roses, actually. Oh, Guns and Roses. Oh, thank you. I, I knew that was wrong. I, mean, I was like, oh, what <laughs> is it? But it's, it's one of those things where they had to go back and change it because the uproar of people going, this isn't right. This was supposed to be dense jungle at the time in the second era when ESO comes out. Like, there are lore hounds who literally flip tables over this stuff. Like me. <laughs> Guilty. So... To, to me, the Elder Scrolls is a world, not just a game, and you don't you don't mess with that world. So, oh, uh, yeah, and the thing uh, I talked about prior, uh, the alt character, I had finished almost all of. Uh, um, I, I cleared the plane meld for those who who've done Cold Harbor and all that. 
because I was getting ready to go into uh, Silver, but it wouldn't let me through. And I was talking to Avi. I'm like, I feel like I'm missing something. Like, I've done the plane meld thing where you stop the plane meld, the, you know, the one character, you know what happens to them. It's that kind of final farewell kind of deal. I didn't do everything in the zone, just kind of like the main story. Like you save the two people and then kind of go forward. I cleared most of the zone. I think there's like two two areas that aren't cleared, uh, which Ooh. one is a public dungeon and one is an area to the very, very north that just isn't cleared. But it's not letting me through. And I realized after talking to Avi, it's because they don't let you do silver until you meet the main main quest. Like I was saving all that. Cause I was trying to get these at scales. So I was trying to get it to VR 14 so I could get the, 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 the cool skins at VR 14. So they might be somewhat usable later on. Uh, so again, Zoss call out for a, a real transmog type system. Um, Oh, there we go. We back. Yep, maybe. What? Okay, we're still here? All right. Yeah, yeah, we've been here. Okay, no, my Skype call said that it had dropped. Oh. And, and it's like, please wait while we, re- while we reestablish the call. <laughs> but it's okay. I, it was my turn to talk, and I could have just kept going, but I want to make sure you guys were back. Um, but, yeah, obviously, like, yeah, you didn't, you didn't defeat Molek Ball yet. And I'm like, well, I did the plane meld. And he was like, oh, that's, that's the main story for... Um, cr- um, not Craglorn, Cold Harbor, but you have to actually do the main storyline to get the silver, so now I have to go back and redo all the main story, which doesn't really matter because it's such a good story, but I'm kind of sad that I have to do it at VR1 or whatever. Um, yeah, I was I was thinking you are going to be able to get all those awards too at VR14, and then I hit that same... I went through the same, this whole same thing. I mean, you could technically, if you wanted to hit VR14, you could go to Craglorn and grind it, but... Uh, uh. Eh. Maybe after this patch, that might be reasonable, but... Oh, I see. It looks like it's Nate who keeps dropping. Hey, he, has a, he has loading on his... Yeah, okay, so it's just us. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Well, at least, at least that's the case. But yeah, that's uh, kind of what what's been going on with me. So, um, yeah, I, it's really sad because I did kind of want to wait because I really like the idea of because some of the best skins in the game come from that. Because for those who don't know, uh, kind of spoiler. Um, oh, okay. Uh, for the next thirty seconds, if you do not want to hear the main storyline finale. Uh, please mm-hmm. skip ahead 30 seconds. Um, for those who don't know, or if you didn't know, uh, the characters you meet um, in the main storyline, like Lyris and Sai Sahan and the Emperor, uh, you have to choose one of them to sacrifice. And when you sacrifice them, you get their weapon as the reward for the thing, whether it be their axe, their greatsword, or their staff, which have unique looks. Um, and spoiler. Uh so that's one of those things where it's it's like um, maybe I have to looks like I have to add him back to the call and see if I can yeah. add to call. Neat. There we go. Um, so yeah, so that's that's what it is. You get one of those, but I was kind of hoping that they would be scaled up a little bit to. Uh... Okay, looks like he's down locally. Okay. 
you, you back, Nate? Uh, possibly, yes. Okay. Hey. I, know, I noticed that you were you were dropping. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's being temperamental, but maybe it'll stay. We'll see. Okay. Well, we're almost done. We're we're. I just yeah. told the end of my story about uh, the 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 main storyline and and the unique weapons. I gave a spoiler for anyone who didn't, so they could skip ahead, but. Um, obviously I was kind of hoping to get those weapons that, you know, like VR 14 or VR 16 so that they would be maybe somewhat usable in the future. Uh, specifically maybe when they, I don't know, whatever, but Zoss, why don't you just give us a real wardrobe system instead of costumes? Cause I would love to be able to transmog like those weapons cause they have unique skins like, and they look so good, but all right, we're going to move on to uh i guess are are you would you feel comfortable doing uh a reading um nate hell yeah let me all just pull right. it up all right so yeah. which one are we doing Ox carinium burning vestige uh it's i it's on there it's uh civility and etiquette volume etiquette. Five. Yeah. yeah okay i know this book <clears throat> this is about zombies right it is all sorts of undead yeah this is a good book. It's going to take a few moments to load over this questionable connection. So that's okay. Well, before we get into it, then let's uh, like the reason why we were doing this series before because this was the dungeon lore series that we had started before. Uh, Civility and etiquette. I'm trying to remember. Do you remember what dungeon it was that this actually came from? Arx Carinium. Is it? Like, because they have an Oryx Carinium book. The oh, do they? Seed. Yeah. Oh, I might have looked at a different one. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Civility and, uh, and Etiquette, Volume 5, The Undead. I can't remember where this one actually came from. They normally were something to do with... Uh, actually, you know what? I'm just going to look it up here real quick to find out where it's at, because I want to know. Um, I think it might be Blackheart. Is the Blackheart Haven... Is it the undead though? Because I know they have one called for wood orcs and stuff like that. I'm kind of curious. Uh, maybe, maybe it, maybe it is Blackheart Haven. Yeah, that's what it looks like it's saying. I just would have thought that would have been Woodworks. but hey, whatever. It's all good. Um, I'm pulling it up. I come on, load faster. Yep, it's it's the Blackheart Haven. You are correct, sir. I barely Hurrah. remember that dungeon because I don't. I only did it like once for story because there's no veteran mode to it yet, uh, and there's not really. And this is a problem with Zoss itself not not making people want to redo dungeons because they're terrible for experience. So yeah. after you do it once for the the quest and the skill point, there's really not a lot of reason to do it. And again, Zoss, you have such good dungeons. Make them worthwhile. <laughs> um, yeah. Our, all right, Nate, whenever you are uh, ready. Okie dokie. Right. Let me just find this book again. Where are we? Civility and Etiquette. V5. Undead. Now, this is by Coristeer. And Coristeer writes, It is popular belief that all undead and phantasmal revenants are slaves to their necromantic biology. Indeed, like most predatory wildlife, many of these creatures exist only to absorb or consume the energy of the living. They should never be bargained or reasoned with. An Altma should deal with such creatures in the way she would handle a rabid wolf or malevolent orc. 
with extreme prejudice. However, there are those amongst the post-living that possess or have achieved sentience like vampires, liches, and wraiths. Dialogue is possible, and creatures such as these, as long our dialogue is possible with creatures such as these, as long as one keeps certain discretions in mind. One, an undead who speaks is bound to be powerful. Any creature whose magic is potent enough to allow its sentience in death deserves an Altma's begrudging admiration. Two, an undead can never be trusted. Though we should respect the undead and their power, all undead want something from the living. There is little to stop them from taking it. An Altman must remain guarded in their presence. Always. Three. An undead might not be as she appears. Many powerful mages possess illusory spells to alter their appearance, and so too do the undead. The wandering spirit of a lost child could be a starving lich in disguise. That said, there is much an Altman can learn from the accumulated knowledge of a sentient undead if dialogue can be achieved. The discerning Altmer could learn of ancient spells from time immemorial, first-hand accounts of historical events, or the location of lost relics, if said Altmer can possess salient questions. When conversing with the likes of the undead, an Altmer wants to maintain an appearance of, one, humility. An Altmer's heritage should afford her much, and in an ideal world, all peoples, including liches, vampires, and wraiths, should adhere to the Altmeri concept of class and proceed accordingly. However, most undead, even Altmeri undead, rarely adhere to social conventions. As such, the most well-bred of Altmer should refer to point one in the previous listing. Think of the undead as elders, powerful, unflinching, prone to anger. Two, intelligence. As is true with the Altmer, especially well-bred Altmer, the undead do not suffer fools. Without being overtly obvious, an Altmer wants to seek openings to display magical acumen or cunning, to show that she is not to be trifled with. Again, think of intimidating a stern elder into compliance. Three, discipline. Assuming an altma can enter into peaceful communication with a lich, wraith, or vampire, or otherwise, she will undoubtedly have many questions, but she should be wary of the number of questions she asks. An undead will impart its knowledge willingly or not at all. In part two of this collection, I'll detail hurdles that may come up in conversation with the undead, specifically with wraiths, vampires, and liches, all of which require different operations of social intelligence. Very well done. Very well done. Thank you. Um, It's funny that they say an Altmer in this, because unless my history on elves is a little off... Do not Altmer, and maybe they, I think they might have had a uh, theological break from their Aldmeri um, or, or origins. The progenitor Aldmeri were essentially ancestor worshippers and, and hated all types of necromancy and uh, undeath because it was a desecration to their, their worshipped ancestors. That's very similar to Dunmeri tradition as well. Not so much in that they were revered as in such a religious sense, but as they were just venerated as being, you know, uh, ancestors of old, uh, the honored dead, similar to Nords with their honored dead. But I could have believed, I was almost positive the Alt Maori almost, uh, at least prior to the adoption of the uh, Alessian pantheon, were ancestor worshippers. So 
would they yeah. even consult with undead at all due to the fact that they would have seen this as a uh, anathema to their religion well they probably they probably would but i would imagine this book is written if you know it is necessary mm-hmm. um i mean the whole the whole idea of of the altmer is um you know they love the adra you know their ancestors so they they are ancestor worship worshippers right Right, and I know a lot of Altmer believe them to be part of the what were what were the original spirits who came down the uh, that lost their divinity and became part of the Earth Bones. What were they called? Why are you thinking I... of are, the, are you thinking of the Adra? Not not the Adra itself. The Adra were those that gave of themselves to create the Mundus. I'm refer- oh, you mean Elnafe? Elnafe, yes, they were the Elnafe that lost their because that if you look at any altmer they believe themselves to essentially and why they look at Lorcan as a more of a, a loki type or a trickster god uh and this is I, I love this when you talk about mm-hmm. we're getting getting into some lore here and this is one of the things that i really love talking about is i love the difference in this game the way that elves view Lorcan versus the way that men view Lorcan. Elves view Lorcan as a Loki or trickster character because they believe that they, that Loki convinced the Elmafey to give of themselves, and they lost their immortality, their godhood, if you will, due to the uh, the, the machinations of Lorcan. Whereas the Nords who worship, um, I wouldn't say worship, but in a way, uh, sure, the missing god. As they almost see him as a, a messianic figure, they who who gave of himself to give life to mortals. So it's interesting to see how men refer to Lorcan as almost like a savior, whereas elves look at him as, like you said, the trickster god, the god that that took from them. It, it's really fascinating. If you and a lot of the a lot of the um, strife that arises between these two peoples the 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 men and the myrrh are along these lines the fact that the elves see themselves as more or less fallen gods whereas the the men see themselves as being alive in mundus at the gift of the gods that they gave them this plane the whole game of Skyrim is made behind this very concept right here. You know, why, Ta- why, Talos, yeah. Talos taking over Lorcan's spot and them believing that a man cannot be a god because they shouldn't believe Lorcan can pretty much re-enter and become worshipped as a god again. Yeah. So, it, One know. of my favorites, and again, uh, I'm going to pull it up here. Elder Lore Podcast, for those who are of interest in this. Look up the Elder Lore podcast and re or listen to episode. Let me pull it up. I gotta find it. Uh, oh, he doesn't. He doesn't. Oh, that's right. He doesn't number them. Uh, it's the episode from February first, twenty thirteen. The Shezarines. He talks about the thing that I love about Lorcan is the fact that it's believed that he re-inhabits and walks the earth in various forms, such as Pen- Pen- or Paranal White Strike was believed to be a Shezarine. Uh, Wolfharth, uh, um, the Underking, was believed to be a Shezarine. They who take the... F- Lorcan taking the form and walking Earth again in a sort of way. And <clears throat> Talos is believed to be a Shezarine where the 
the the soul of Wolfharth, who is believed to be sucked into the Mantella, the soul of Tiber Septum, the Dragonborn, and uh, who who else was it? And well, Lurkan being uh, you know part of that whole thing, that the the godhood that is. Um, Talos is not just Tiber Septum, but it is the reincarnation of Lorcan with the mixture of these heroes, Tiber Septum and the Shezarine Wolfharth, uh, the Underking, in a in a in a merge that when they when they became together and ascended into godhood, that it was essentially the Nords resurrecting Lorcan, whom they whom the Altmer and Mostmer see as a trickster. Am I right in thinking that Mara was the wife of Lorcan? Uh, Kine was dis- was the wife of Lorcan. Hmm. Because it said that rain didn't happen until Lorcan was killed, and it's Kine's tears that form the rain. I thought Kine was as well. I thought like one of them was I... kind of like a leather and one of them was a wife. I, I don't know if it which is I which. might be wrong on that, but I believe that Mara was supposed to be a handmaiden of Kine. Oh, right. <clears throat> or Kinnereth, for those who follow the other one. But he was a polygamist. He, he, well, could be. Mara uh, Kine. But if you look at the two in purely theological terms, Kine and Kinnereth are not quite the same. They are in, in, in uh, when, and, and this is so fascinating, when you look at it, after the Alessian Rebellion happened, Alessia didn't just push out the aliens by herself. It was a mixture of the slaves, the Nedic people, the Nords from the north, okay, who came down, as well as varying dissenting groups of aliens within the hierarchy that formed her rebellion, the Alessian Rebellion. But when she formed her empire, she had to pacify all of these people because First, she had the dissident groups of aliens who, of course, worship their their own pantheon, including um, Auriel, who is known as Akatosh, but he, he takes a different type of form, as well as several other gods. You had the Nords, who had their own pantheon, not just the dragon pantheon originally, but they had their own, where uh, Kine took a more <clears throat> Valkyrie kind of warlike stance, Mara was her handmaiden, I believe, uh, and it was gone by a different name. There was they had their own pantheon, and then of course you had the Nedic people who had their own, who've been so used to worshiping the Elven gods, and then those who hated them. You couldn't just she couldn't just say, okay, this is what's going to happen. We're going to continue worshiping the Elven gods because a lot of the Needs didn't want anything to do with it. They're oppressors. But then again, she had to pacify the the group of elves that broke with her. But then you had the Nords who were like, screw all these people. It was Shore and all the kind and all that. So the actual Cyrodelic Pantheon is actually a, a myriad of different mixtures where she took aspects of the alien gods, the Nedic people religion and the Nords religion and kind of mixed them together. That's why when you look at the difference between Kennereth and Kine, there's a huge difference in the fact that, yeah, they're both essentially sky gods, you know, the goddess goddess of the sky, but that's really their only real similar similarity. Kennereth is more passive, kind of like the hippie peace lover kind of deal, whereas Kine was the warrior 
a lot of neat or Nords looked at Kine as the giver of the Thume. They believe the Thume came from Kine herself, who gave bre- breath into the Nords at the throw of the world. Hence, uh, Greybeards. Exactly. Um, but she was very warrior like versus the Cyrodelic version, who is more of a passive overlooker. And I'm almost positive that the Kinnereth in the Cyrodelic pantheon had nothing to do with Lorcan. Like they didn't, they just left that out that she was the the wife of Lorcan because the elves absolutely despised Lorcan. So we have gone deep this evening today. Yeah, we, we have gone deep. We have, and actually, this is going to spawn off of. Um, we're going to be adding a new section to the Elder Scrolls uh, Tales of Tamriel, um, but not quite yet i'm waiting until i move into uh, my new house when i have better internet and when i can stream because we're going to be adding a lore library where we get to have these lore discussions um and they may even be recorded uh separately because i would love to have you nate on and maybe some of the esorp people i haven't talked to them yet other than you but i love talking lore and I and obviously, as you could tell, I'm all about digging deep into this stuff. Mm. Uh, so that section will be coming in the future because, honestly, that's one of my favorite things about the Elder Scrolls is the lore of the game itself. It, we can talk about the Tseski, the vampire serpents. The vampire serpents who were uh, the potentates right before the yep. Interregnum. Yeah, uh-huh. Very timely. Very timely. That would be wonderful. Uh, it, there's so much. I adore the Elder Lore series. Like I have it downloaded. It's one of the only podcasts that I have every episode downloaded, and I check in my iTunes store not to delete uh, already listened to episodes because I go back and re-listen to it almost like an audiobook. Um, you know, um, Sayeski uh, were in uh, Cyrodiil as mercenaries in the first era. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that well, that's where the Dragon Guard originally formed from as well. They brought their Akaviri um, aspects into it, and the only reason why I believe they became known or the Dragon Guard became as it was was when the Akaviri um, invasion f- uh, failed. Was it uh, the Raymond Dynasty had them trapped in a in a uh, in a gorge or something like that, and he was so impressed by their fighting style that he more or less formally adopt them especially when they found out he was dragonborn mm. they that's where his dragon guard that his original dragon guard i believe were all you say uh uh i've heard it pronounced other ways uh was it uh i can't now i'm drawing a blank on i was just saying it in my head but these serpent people were like the first official dragonborn guard that became sayeski sayeski um mm. I've these these people were, became the first dragonborn, uh, the dragon guard, I should say, for the dragon. Oh, they were dragon knights. They were dragon knights. Yeah, they 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 came out during interregnum in the second era. Yeah, oh, it's it's so good. Yeah, kind of like um, similar to Akaviri dragon guard. Right. Yeah. The well, the dragon knight. The the whole idea of dragon knights, the class itself is. They even talk about it in the class description that it was derived from the ancient Akaviri fighting styles that came over with the, the I've heard it pronounced, I think, Seishi. 
is how mm. I've heard it pronounced, but regardless. Um, that was where their fighting style came in. Those were tools and styles and techniques passed down from Akavir. Um, oh, so much lore. Okay. I love lore. Absolutely love lore. All right. Let's go ahead and move on uh, We to our mailbag. And uh, we have an iTunes review from uh, the UK, I believe, right? You do indeed. Although this does, of course, require me to be pulling up iTunes and searching very, very quickly. Oh, okay. So, for... um, so no, like... no, no, no. It's okay. I'm, 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 I'm vamping here. Oh uh, uh, yeah, which yeah. is unconnected, of course, to vampiric tradition of Tamriel. But here <laughs> we go. Um, the ratings and reviews. So this is a five star review uh, that came from Matt Greenhouse, uh, who says. I only recently started listening to podcasts due to work. I started looking for video game podcasts, but then started being more specific. And as an avid lover of Elder Scrolls Online, I've got to say, this podcast is spot on. Everything they talk about grabs my full attention, and I find myself really looking forward to the next episode. Definitely recommend five stars. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for those reviews. And again, uh, I'm going to implore once again, if you are from another country outside the U.S., obviously almost all of us are in the U.S. with the exception of Stellian and, 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 and our, our recurring guest, Nate, who are in the U.K. If you're in another country that's not U.S., because that's the one I check the most often because it really is a pain in the bum to, to search. Um, and based on our analytics, because I do check our, our webpage analytics, our most uh, a lot of our views come from the United States, Australia, and UK. Not really a lot of other countries, really. Um, but if you do leave us a review, I do want to give it proper airtime. So just send us a quick note. Either go to DungeonCrawlerNetwork.com on the contact page, fill out that little form. It's really simple. Just go, hey, left your review on the whatever store, whatever your country is, and I will I will go look. Or email us at uh, contact at DungeonCrawlerNetwork.com. I will gladly look at the reviews, and I, I do want to give proper airtime, but it, it is just – it's sort of a pain in the bum to have to search and the iTunes store breaks everyone's country down into their own store. So you have to go to each individual one, but I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm ignoring those people because I, I don't want to, but it, it really is a pain to have to go back and, and uh, <laughs> try to find it. And Nate, you can, you can attest to this with your own, own podcast as well. That, uh, oh, yeah. It, it's just such a pain other than whatever your default store is to look for other reviews. Um, I mean, heck I left a review on yours and I don't, I don't even think you saw it yet. So <laughs> I didn't know, but that's cause I have so many reviews. You see, it's just it's I, so difficult to wade through them. And I understand. I, I fully understand this, but it is, it's just difficult when it's outside your home country store to get around to it. So, I really would encourage anyone who's left a review. I will gladly go look at it. But if you send me a message, it just makes it easier. So, all right, guys, time for our final thoughts. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope that uh, those of you who listened enjoyed this episode um, more so than the last one. Um, I will not make apologies for the last episode because, as I said, because I, I honestly felt and Avi and I both feel – that, that those things needed to be said. Yep. Um, and, you know, 
even our friends over at uh, Elder Scrolls Off the Record, yeah, uh, Alvar went alone. Was he, he gave me some words of encouragement, going, you know, it it was a negative topic you had to hit on, but it was something that had to be said. And hopefully, Zoss listens and and for the good of the game, you know, looks at it. But hopefully, this episode itself was a little bit more positive. Thank you, Nate. Um, You're welcome. We had a lot of fun. I mean, even other than the one negative with, like I said, the crown store type debacle we had, but I thought we we thought. I thought we gave it good discussion. Um, yeah. Endgame and we're constructive... deep, deep, deep in lore. Oh, yeah. Deep in lore. Deep in lore. I hope people enjoy the lore part because I sure do. I could probably go for another like three hours on lore if you really want just to talk about Elder Scrolls lore. Yeah. Well, we that's what we do on ESORP, which, of course, everybody should listen to. I agree. I absolutely So we've just done um, our anniversary episode, actually, which is um highly worth listening to i agree if i do say so myself <laughs> i actually have it downloaded but i haven't listened to it yet i'll have to listen to it this week when i'm at work because i hope that's when i listen to all my podcasts so um i'm i'm excited i i'm a lore nut and i love looking into this kind of stuff so well we we talked a lot on that actually about um more the mobile aspect of of how um eso could benefit from better mobile integration and also more in law, and I'll just give a little tease because obviously I have to, which is uh, they're talking about advancing spoken word law books. I'll just leave it at that. Oh, nice! All right. Um, and actually, I just got a message, uh, which is kind of cool. I just want to read this off on here, um, but I got a message uh, from from my. From my, my, a good Twitter friend, uh, Ballin, sent me a message going, I made a one uh, the review one star because people will read one-star reviews over 85-star reviews because we got one that uh, was a one-star review, but it was a great review. <laughs> so weird. But he actually does make a lot of points because when I'm looking at reviews, I look at their, oh, they got a lot of five-stars. Well, let's see about the one-stars because people like drama. So you look at the low reviews to see what people are saying about it. People will read bad, like the one star reviews on iTunes before they ever read five stars. It's really, really sad, but it's very true. I didn't even think about that. He just wrote that and went, huh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, I can get that. All right. Well, guys, how about we uh, go around and uh, tell everyone where they can find us? Uh, Nate? Yeah. Um, well, obviously, ESORP at op cast.com. That is my regular bi-weekly show uh, where we talk in depth less about news and game news because obviously it's covered so well by Tales of Tamriel. Um, but we talk much more about lore and about how the changes to the game um, benefit or affect lore, uh, characters, history, things like that. Um, so that's what we do every other week um, worth listening to. And I also do a tech podcast a weekly technology podcast called text message so which is very rarely to do about to do with gaming but very much to do with consumer technology trends and uh, how it's changing the world um and obviously i'm on twitter nate langson easy to find absolutely if you're into uh technology at all i i thoroughly support nate's podcast really good information there um Obviously, some things, if you're from another country, such as talking about the different plugs 
don't really matter too much <laughs> if you're non-British. But uh, yeah, there, there are... honest, one of the one of the things is that there are so many really, really great technology podcasts out there, but the vast, overwhelmingly vast majority of them are American. So actually, what we what we what we do is by focusing more on quite explicitly UK and how things affect the UK. It separates the show from so many other shows, um, so it, it tends to have a slightly different a different vibe to it. And yeah, we do talk about some weird stuff. Hey, I, I'm perfectly okay with that because it does. It, you are true because America itself has a almost a how did I hear someone put this once an almost uh, like worship technology kind of view, like technology will save us all kind of deal. So yeah, I could see where a lot of tech politics podcast would be u.s based but uh even so like uh it's worth listening to because i i still go back to your difference when you were talking about uh, the difference between lossless audio and itunes and how how the um how the quality is so different between the actual cds versus an itunes store because they have Mm -hmm. to shrink it it just blew my mind where I immediately went out and like one of the bands I listened to, um, I buy their CDs and then I buy them on iTunes as well. So I went and I did a, co- a comparison between the two and actually sat down and was just really trying to listen. After, after you told me all this, I'm like, is there really a difference? And I sat down and I played both through the same audio system, but one from my phone through an auxiliary cable and one from the CD. And there really is a pretty marked change between the two. Well, if any, anybody listening wants to hear that uh, feature, that was episode 12 of Text Message, which was published on the 6th of April. Um, so if you do a search for Text Message and find the episode that has the title uh, Galaxy S6 Review and Lossless Audio Explained with Flesh God Apocalypse, that's the one that Ag's talking about. And yeah, that was, that was one of the most popular episodes we've ever done, actually. It was one of my favorites because the way you explain the compression rate like I, I come from a very tech side, so you know I, I can I can understand a little bit more if you get into it. But the way you explained it just it, it amazed me the type of research you went into for that, and it was definitely one of my favorite episodes. It wasn't just you know, yeah, this is better just because it is. You actually went into the definition between lossless and and what iTunes has to do with their algorithm to strip out sounds that are so close it's hard to tell the difference it it was really good and i do encourage people to listen to it awesome thank you uh and avi why don't you tell everyone where they can find you uh yeah you can find me uh all over the internet but mostly i'm in game at avi optimal a-v-i-o-p-t-i-m-a-l and it was a really good show uh enjoyed all the lore and had a great time excellent uh and for myself you can find me at Twitter, at Agelos, A-G-G-E-L-O-S, underscore W-O-F. And yes, I do encourage the competition of figuring out what the W-O-F stands for. Um, I think we had waffles and, or not, waffles on fries was one. and uh, World of fun. World of fun, that's a good one. Uh, Wheel of fortune, that was a, that was a fun one as well. 
I, I like those people coming up with the WOF stands for. So <coughs> wings of fate. <coughs> that's what it was. <laughs> but it's it's funny. I seen someone on Twitter go, "What? It doesn't mean wheel of fortune." So I encourage people to do that. You can find me in game on the US Mega Server at Agelos A G G E L O S. Um, obviously you can also find me over and I'm going to do a little plug here for uh, a sacrament game um, indie MMO that I am now helping out with as well volunteering over there and, and uh, working with them uh, at sacramentgame.com so if you're interested in uh, checking out some of the indie stuff that's where I'm at as well I'm over there on their forums actively trying to talk about what makes a good MMO so that's something that interests you then check it out all right guys thank you so much you can find the show on itunes on stitcher radio pretty much anywhere that rss feeds can be read it's awesome main website dungeoncrawlernetwork.com you can find the twitter for the network at dungeoncrawlnet and this particular show's twitter is at Tales of Tamriel. You can find all of the things we do on YouTube at youtube.com slash Dungeon Crawler Network. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Nate, for coming on again. We love having you on. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a good night. May your scales remain moist. <laughs>